How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow <laughs> Podcast, episode 48. How you doing, bud? <laughs> I might have made you laugh before the recording started. No, I just started laughing on my own record. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, you, you're like the Joker. You have that compulsive laughing disorder. No. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry. Now you're really serious. But how are you, Jake? <laughs> okay, I'm just messing with you. I'm good. I'm doing good. Yeah. Everything's wrapping up in this Christmas Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm gone in like... Nine days. Oh, that's scary. So next week will be my last live recording. Whoa. But we'll talk a little bit probably more about that next week on yeah, the show. Yeah, I mean, next week, people are like, what do you mean live? What's going on? Yeah. You will find out soon enough. Yes. Just teasing it. Just teasing yeah, exactly. it a little bit. You know what I got this morning? Because mm. I've, been, I've been back in the office a little bit in mm-hmm. my other job with the education department. And they got me a little prezzo. Oh yeah, what they, they get got you? me two prezos for um for obviously wrapping up the year, but also for graduating. They got me two books to do with filmmaking. Oh yeah, was that was that official last week? Did we officially announce that we had graduated? Um, were our grades finalized at that point? I guess they are. Well, yeah, we're done. Yeah. We're well, we're both waiting on an email still. <laughs> yeah, we're waiting on a single email to say you guys can you officially get out of here. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week. Yeah, we probably did. I'm sure we did. But no, the two books were called Cult Filmmakers. Which is about mm-hmm. the top fifty cult filmmakers, and I went through it really quickly. There's like Sophia Coppola and and David Lynch and stuff are in there, so it, no, it's interesting. It's like, but those are like the two biggest g- names. I was about to say I would not count Sophia Coppola as an indie. She could never be an indie well, filmmaker. I guess it's more cult than indie. Yeah. So I guess it's like not like huge tempo films, but like still know. But well, that, that's the thing. Those are the two probably most mm-hmm. famous directors on that list. So okay. I was like, that's kind of cool. And the other one I got was The Secret Life of Movies. So okay. Kind of, I, I, it was good choices because like it, was, it were two books that I've never really heard of before, so it was nice. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the word? Like, chill or I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I didn't already own them prior, you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a movie books are always good to have. I have yeah. an entire like shelf of just movie books. Nice. Yeah. All the stuff you got from <laughs> from well, that one that I found like a <laughs> couple months back. It was just like someone had thrown it out that thousand and one movies you oh, need to yeah, watch yeah, before yeah. you die. Nice. Which, which cover was it again? It's the picture of uh, the chick from Psycho. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Because um, nice, I think there's a few versions of those, so you get like a different cover with each one. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. No, it's a, a much to you constantly encouraging me to get on Letterbox and use it more efficiently. I have officially <laughs> started today <laughs> to finalise my Letterbox. So if you want to check out my Letterbox account, it's Zeke M H. Nice and clean. Nice and clean. Like the car drive here was just you and your phone. Be like three and a half stars. Oh, yeah. Four and a half stars. I haven't been able to. I, I won't stars. write very often <laughs> reviews on them, but I will always put my grade up. And if anyone requires explanation, I'm happy to offer my explanations yeah. for my grades. We need like a viewers' corner on the show. Well, like a viewers' feedback. Yeah, sort of yeah. Thing. Yeah, well, for might bring it in. We might bring it into the new year. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? What Lots of plans for the future. Lots of plans. The Lots cinema plans. sideshow podcast. I can't believe we're on the verge of a year. It's crazy. That's oh, it's crazy. Oh, that, midway through December now. That's insane. Yeah, what's uh, going on? Seems like such a long time ago <laughs> that we decided to give this another go, and we've stuck it out. Weekly. We've stuck it out really well. Never Very missed, proud of us. Never missed a deadline. Yeah. But we're not here to boast about how we've managed to survive for a year. <laughs> Why not, <laughs> Jake? How many movies have you caught this week? Uh, how many? Yeah. Uh, well, what f- have you caught? A few. I have caught a few. In similar to the last few weeks, I've watched a lot of stuff. Um, so I'll just kind of spitball through some of them. 
So I watched one that I mentioned I was going to watch last weekend, mm-hmm. uh, or last week rather, called Lucky Logan. Or is it Logan Lucky? Logan Lucky. I misspelt it in my document. <laughs> That's okay. I shall rewrite it. Logan Lucky. But um, I actually had a lot of fun with this movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. I thought it was more enjoyable and more... It felt more like a Coen Brothers film than half of the Coen Brothers films, you know? Mm. Even though I know it's Sternberg and he did like Ocean's Eleven and all that stuff. Yes. Or 11, 12, 13, whatever. I don't know. And he did Contagion as well, which I actually really enjoyed. Still haven't gotten around to it yet. I watched it like halfway through the year. I talked about it on the show. But I like I like mm-hmm. that film just because it has a really cool balance of the big world stuff and the small world interpersonal stuff with like, mm-hmm. like families and stuff. Um, but in this film, he kind of goes, and I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven or Twelve or any of those, but I imagine it has a very similar direction in terms of like the fun. Is it, are those fun films? The the Ocean's films? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, Ocean's Eleven especially. I haven't caught Twelve or Thirteen. Okay. Um, just because it just never felt like something I was compelled to do. It's like, right. I know they always had diminishing returns. Um, I might revisit them one day, but I really hmm. enjoyed Ocean's Eleven. It sort of comes back to like, and then they've got the all-female release, which is Ocean's Eight. Right, which okay. out of all. It's just too many. It's that thing, you know. It's like I guess like what happened to Jurassic Park in a lot of ways. What well, sort of it comes back to the same problem that I I addressed sort of with the Now You See Me films a few weeks back when I'd watched the second one in response to the first one. Wait, what I did you think of the second one? Hated the second one. Oh man, I don't remember us having this conversation. Did oh we? okay, I feel like I brought it up maybe on the maybe it brought it off the podcast. Maybe it was. I don't remember us ever talking about. Oh, it. Oh okay, well I caught Now You, you See Me too, and I hated Now You See Me too. Oh my goodness, yeah, I thought it was silly. fine. It was really silly. No, it's. I don't really like. I'm not a big fan of the first one anyway. Okay, maybe that's. Um, first of... one's like a th- two and a half, and the second one's like a one and a half. It's like. Jeez. I just. Man. am not a fan. Really. And it's like, I've not got a problem with the cast, particularly the first one's got a really strong cast. And then they. I mean, they bring most of them back for the second movie, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It just felt. Second one felt especially convoluted and calling back too much to the first one. I, f- I feel like it was similar to like Zombieland, how those two films back to back kind of still work really well because they're so stylistically, you know, there's a lot of continuity there that still works. Mm. And that's kind of how I look at the net now. You see me films in the same in the same light, I guess. But I don't. It's surprising me that they're you bringing really a third like one either, now. Man. I think oh, they're they making are? It, they're making a third one. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Okay. But I'll watch it. I, I, I probably will too. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> I mean, I won't pay to see it. I didn't pay to see either of them. Both of them were like streamed, but. Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I think I owned the second one on Blu-ray, but not the first one. That's so hmm. weird. It's <laughs> that that very strange. And yeah. Um, But to go back to Soderbergh, I, actually, I noticed his direction in Logan Lucky, like, really well. Like, a way, the way that he does, like, a lot of, uh, like, tilt shifts and, uh, <laughs> like, his focus pulling and just stuff like that. Like, the way he uses the camera is quite fun. He uses it in a comedic way, too, mm. which I really like. Um, I was particularly like, that scene between that. Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, and Daniel Craig in the prison. Right, with yeah, the yeah, egg, yeah. <laughs> very funny. But yeah, just the length of takes and stuff. You're right. It's like it's. I actually really liked the direction of the film. I thought it was mm-hmm. fun. And yeah. uh, the No Country or I got it on Blu-ray. I really like enjoy, oh, enjoy nice. the film. I think I rented it. I think I rented mm-hmm. it on Blu-ray actually, yeah. which is a rarity. I like to rent them on DVD so I can like it's easier to watch them around the house. But mm. yeah, it's all part of it. I also watched Leon the Professional. I've Which, heard about this film. Yeah, so it has a very, 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 very young Natalie Portman. because her first role ever. Mm, uh, and it's kind of... It's interesting. I like the film. 
Mm-hmm. I thought at first it was quite funny because it starts off with like you have Leon the the assassin, yes, and the way you get your establishing scene of him like doing his work and it's really really good. But it just reminded me of, like the Matrix in terms of like it felt like they were trying so hard to be cool with it, and in some ways it kind of doesn't reach the lengths. But then it turns after it does that. That's kind of all at the start, and then it becomes more about the relationship between him and this girl that he's sort of forced her to, to nurture because she loses her family in circumstance and becomes a revenge story. She wants to be like him now. She wants to also be like a hitman, uh, but she's also like very sexually attracted to Leon. And he's a very Ooh. like, like he's got the thick accent. He's not too, uh, like they make a point of being so like, how hey, old's Natalie Portman in this? Uh, she's like 12 or something. And he's probably in his like forties or something like that, but he's mm. quite clueless which makes it way easier to, to, to digest the whole thing because mm-hmm. he's very much like the father figure, but he's yeah. also kind of a clueless, fun dad in a way. So even though it takes itself seriously, uh, the dynamic kind of works because you never get the sense that he's into it. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, plays really well into the film. And I, I really like it. And you get Gary Oldman being a dick as well, which is always fun. Is that the Leon? Uh, no, he's the, he's the guy who kills... Uh, Matilda's family or Natalie Portman's okay. family, so he's like the bad guy in it. Oh, okay. Um, I re- I recommend it. I'm curious what like what you think. Yeah, where'd you catch it? You rented, uh, it? rented it as well. Okay, so it's around. It's it's like 1984, I want to say, or mid 90s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I'll give it a I'll give it a look. See if I can uh, sneak it. I've had a really bad week. <laughs> um, oh really? Have you? Mm-hmm. Want to start with what we watched on Saturday? <laughs> No, we'll ignore that one for now. I'll lead into that one. We'll lead into that all right, all right. that display. Yeah. Um, so I managed to catch Couples Retreat. I went on a bit of a Vince Vaughn tear. If you can I don't know if Vince Vaughn's a good one to have a tear, tear. with. <laughs> and I've really come to realise how many of his films are very similar. He's a very set simple, type of film. Simple man. He's, a, he's very like... <laughs> I don't want to say one note, but he's one note. Right, okay. <laughs> um, so I managed to watch four separate ones, which is not good. I watched Couples <laughs> Retreat, which was terrible. What do you do terrible. to yourself? Because, like... You hate yourself. I get... Sometimes I get, like... You know how you get overwhelmed from these, like, the bigger films? Right, and like trying to look out for, like, classics and, like, the big yeah, hitters. And, yeah, and I, and I work a lot, and it's like, I don't want to go home and watch... Like, as much as I love, like, think films, like, Once Upon a Time in the West are, like, they're masterpieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they they don't get much better than that. And it's, like, when you have the option to watch, like, a three and a half hour film where you watch a hundred <laughs> minutes of just, just crap, <laughs> you feel, it's like fast food. It's quick, it's efficient. But you feel terrible afterwards. Right, gotcha, gotcha. And that's what I did. So I watched Couples Retreat. Yep. I have these all written down. Couples Retreat, The Internship. I've seen The Internship. Did you like The Internship? Uh, I don't know. I watched it on a plane. It's very much a plane It's when movie. he goes to Google, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's... it's, it's bad. Dirty Grandpa. So that wasn't oh, a Vince Vaughn film. But that I haven't was, seen that. that. That was the Al Pacino... That we talked about Jack and Jill last week on the show. This is the sure. De Niro version of This is the De Niro that. one, and Jesus Christ, that was a bad man. And I like Zac Efron, too. Like, I think he's pretty cool. Is this the lazy film? Is that it's what it is? so lazy. Right. It's With Dirty Grandpa especially, it's like the comedy is so... They jump from joke to joke to joke. 
so there's never enough time to let the joke simmer, and we're going right. to probably talk about comedic tone later in the show. Right, gotcha. Um, and <laughs> this film definitely goes quick, fast joke, quick, fast joke, quick, fast joke. Because there's not enough time for you to let, like, most of the time you're going, oh, that wasn't funny, that's kind of gross, oh, that's fun. what, what's going on? Mm. And it's like, you might get a laugh out of one, out of every ten jokes, but it's like, it's simply because they've, sir, they've thrown ten jokes at you in a minute. Right, yeah, one of them's got to land somewhere. Yeah, and it's like, De Niro's character just ends up saying a bunch of ridiculous curse words back, like, back to back, he'll be like... The Irishman. Yeah, no. I know, I'm kidding. Yeah, but like, <laughs> it just doesn't work. It's such a messy film, and it's mm. it feels like it's written by a 13 year old. Oh god! Um, like it does feel like it was written by a 13 year old. Like racy dialogue and drugs makes things funny. Is the you know how many segues you gave me into the Saturday film? But I'm I'm letting you do your own segues. Here. Yes, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, so they're they're. they're Three of the bad films I caught. Yep. I also managed to catch Four Christmases, which is a Vince Vaughn. Oh, I've Vaughan, seen Four Christmases. Which is not as bad. It's fine. It's so fine <laughs> that you forget. I've always wanted to rewatch it for some reason. Well, it's on Netflix. Like him bouncing around from family to family. I was like, you know, it's like time to have a Christmas movie that I haven't watched before. And I've never seen Four Christmases. Like, yeah, fair enough. So I was like, yeah, that was fine. <laughs> you know, there are better Christmases movies out there. Oh, really? I would have never guessed. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm being a dick. to revisit Polar Express because I heard a lot. <laughs> I, I love was, Polar I Express. I love Polar Express. But people shit on it so much. What happened? I don't know. I think the effects do not stand out as much as they do. Man, Maybe they stand out in a bad way. Yeah, I heard there's something to do with the mocap. And... I watched some footage back. I, 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 first, I forgot that Tom Hanks plays like almost everyone in the film. Didn't know that. Yeah, he plays almost everyone in the film. Shout out to a Corridor Crew video. That highlighted oh, this. Oh, yeah, that's yes. right. That's how I wrote I was like, oh, yeah, I did know that, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, you're right. They put out they put out a video this morning or yesterday on Star Wars. I haven't watched the Star Wars one yet. It's quite good. They pretty much don't do any prequels, which I thought was interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, comes back to the best part about the, like, that's another one of those things that the originals have got is obviously because of limited budget, they have to be innovative. Yeah. And innovation oh, always grows the... the the best results. So, yeah. you know, you hand you hand these guys money, you can see what they do with it. Oh, it's it's insane. Oh. Just like the sound work and it, like watch that video when you get home. Yeah, because first off, they show how they did green screen before a digital age. Yeah. So essentially, chroma keying using only film and not being able to double expose or put film on top of <laughs> film. So that the final alternatives to that. And it's really cool, the well, sort of invention not, of green Not screen. that Corridor Crew needs an extra plug because they got like <laughs> 3 million subs, but if you ever wanted to know how visual effects work in cinema, those guys are like professionals oh, and they so explain good. it and they're really good. I've got about 17 videos now of they're their... They're funny. They're funny guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I would yeah. 100% recommend them. So they were the... the <laughs> sort of the Vince form. Because it's like, for me, it's like, I always think, I think Wedding Crashes is one of my favourite comedies of all time. Like it's up there. Right. It's, like, not top, but it's definitely, like, at least in 21st century comedies, it's a very good comedy. You know, I don't uh, know if I've seen it or not. It's probably the best. I mean, it's Vince Vaughn and Noah Wilson, so right, it's, like, yeah. and it's a pretty funny film. Well, what the story goes, the legend of Jake Diagrella goes, is yes. that I went to watch it with my older brother, mm-hmm. who, I guess at that time, I would have been, like, seven, and he would have been, like, probably 13, or closer to 13, <laughs> Uh, and he swears to this day that I never actually watched it with him in a theater. 
I thought that I did. Yeah. And I re- is there a scene at the end of Wedding Crashes where they, in front of a big crowd, they're like, we've been going to all these, like they admit to what they've been doing sort of thing? Is no. That real? No, that doesn't happen? I mean, there's like a profession of love at a wedding. Okay, but it's not like a confession. Of... Not of them crashing weddings, no. Maybe I did imagine it, because like, that's like the only thing I remember from that film. Apparently no. this exists. <laughs> they get rented out pretty early. It's a really good, like, oh, it's a really right, fun okay. film. It's a, like, it's a comedy. I mean, and mm. the, but all the before everyone's cast correctly. And it's like Vince Vaughn does this really good sort of sat. He always has a very good satire presence. Like mm. he, he plays the straight man very well. Um, but it honestly felt like couples retreat, especially just felt like they wanted to go to the Caribbean and make a movie. It's like all the Adam Sandler's films. Fucking Where did. are we going for felt a vacation? Like Vince Vaughn next? and John Favreau wanted to do on this one. <laughs> so go uh, figure. But, and then for The Lion King this year, they wanted to take a vacation in a studio. Oh, it's just... <laughs> with a bunch of computers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he di- uh, he apparently writes and directs, like, a bajillion things, because he's just, like... He's every a busy man. Epi- every episode of Mandalorian, he gets credited, like... As, as a writer? Yeah. Writer, producer. Like the solo writer for the show. No, some of them he's co-written episodes. Or oh, okay. Dave Filoni's taken a couple of them, but... He gets credited a lot. I'm going to look this up. If we look up the list of the Mandalorian episodes, I'll be able to look at all the individual directors and writers for Mm. each episode. Am I going to be spoiled by looking at the titles? Except chapter two is called The Child. That's not a spoiler. No. You know how many Baby Yoda memes I've showed people at work today? So good. I would send you one while I'm meant to be working, and then I'll show like my friend who's sitting next to me, I'll show her every single one that I send you. Mm. Including like the really messed up ones. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the father saying the no no words? Oh my god. <laughs> but anyway. It kills me. Um right. let's see. No, you're right. John Favreau the first five he wrote Oh wait, no, that's Dave Filoni there. Okay, he wrote the first four. Yeah. And then he wrote the last two, which are about to come out. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, busy man, on top of all the films and everything. Jeez. Getting he's really in Disney's pocket, that man. <laughs> it's a good pocket to be if you want financial security. Chef 2. Let's make it happen. Chef 2. <laughs> so what about you, Jake? Anyone, um, any others before we talk about that film? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, let's save that one to the end. Um, all right, well, a few others. This is actually quite in tune with the fact that a new film called Little Women is going to get a lot of sort of mm-hmm. uh, awards buzz very soon because uh, the director, uh, Greta Gerwig, also directed Lady Bird, which is something I watched in the last week, finally. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this on the show, these kind of, you know, young coming of age sort of high school films. You know, we have Eighth Grade, we have Perks Being a Wallflower, which is sort of the one that kind of kickstarted the modern day version yes. of it. Uh, geez, you've got The Edge of Seventeen. You've got, you got a lot of these kinds of films. And I've seen almost all of them at this point. Um, Lady Bird fits in quite nicely in the middle of them, I guess. I was a little kind of against it, just because one of my friends was actually quite down on Lady Bird when she first saw it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of instinctively went into it being like, oh, let's see if I can find the flaws with it. And I, I think I think my friend's main flaw with it is that the, the main girl, Lady Bird, she goes by Lady Bird, mm-hmm. doesn't really have a more specific goal. Her goal was to kind of get out of her hometown to move to like a, a big pristine university, even though she doesn't necessarily have the grades or the wits or the resources to, to get into like a Harvard or, a, or Yale or that kind uh, and there wasn't anything more specific. There wasn't. It's like we don't know exactly what she wants to do. We just know she wants to get out. Which I was like, oh, I see why this is a problem. But then I got to the ending of the film, 
And the last five minutes really saves this film. Really? Yeah, because without, I'm not going to spoil it. I kind of want you to watch it and you tell me what you think. But there's a lot of through lines with her relationship with her mum. And it kind of fits in nicely with all the other plot lines. But the ending makes you realize that that's the main one. That's the one you need to follow. Yeah, I, I mean, really I, I saw it just got put up on Netflix. And I've yeah, that's been how like, I watched it. Yeah. Like tossing up whether to watch it. It's on the. It's been contemplated. It's on the maybe list. So it, it'll speak. probably get a watch one of these nights. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious. I know I want. Well, I want to know what you think of the ending because again, I think the ending honestly saves this film because it really ties everything. It's like so, okay, I get what is happening. I get. But you're, you're not a fan of the the journey there, or um, I didn't mind it, but it's so samey. Again, I've seen mm. the Edge of Seven. I've seen Eighth Grade. They all do very similar things. Now, weirdly enough, this film actually takes place in 2002. So there's a lot of like weird political stuff kind of stirred in just to kind of remind you that you're in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like remember 9-11 posts because it obviously would have just happened at the time. So it tells me that this is Gerwig sort of trying to relive her childhood mm-hmm. and direct- by directing this film, she's doing that. Uh, so I can respect it on that front. But what, What's your feeling about uh, Little Women coming out? Uh, I'm, I'm excited for it just because I've heard that it's good. Well, we saw the trailer for it. Yeah, and yeah. it really didn't do anything for nah. me, unfortunately. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind it. I've got a little background on, um, like the story of the, the writer herself, and apparently the ending to that is also very clever. Okay. It's very much, uh, sort of isn't done in appreciation of the real life person it's based on and how the way she would write stories. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm curious from that angle. I'm probably gonna have to catch it at a lunar or something, uh, and I'm curious about its awards sort of accolades once we start getting into that season, but. I'm 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 keen on it, but Lady Bird. I, I thought the ending kind of saved it, but the journey was sort of I've seen it before up until that point. Yeah. Even though there's a bit of a there are a lot twist. of those ones out there though. Yeah, no, there's a lot of them. Uh, on the flip side of that journey, I also watched the Forty Year Old Virgin for the first time. You know, the funny thing is, mm. um, so I've been like that's that's a film I've been like thinking about revisiting recently. Right. And then you said you had watched it, and I was like, man, everyone's just on the same thought train. <laughs> Like, but sure, it's not just us two. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's, yeah. I know Sarah was wanting to watch it too. <laughs> so Fair enough. I don't think she's ever watched it before though. Ah, gotcha. Well, uh, neither had I up until the other day. Yeah. And what was the verdict? Um, I yeah, I quite liked it. I thought it was surprisingly very funny. I think it, the comedy holds up quite well. The comedy is probably it's strong. The stories. I mean, the stories. It's about a forty-year-old man losing his virginity. Yeah, but they actually kind of do just enough with that story to make it relevant mm-hmm. in terms of they're challenging this idea of sex on the pedestal, but at the same time, and it's a, it's a old comedy film, so I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the film, he does get laid, but yes. he gets married and he does the whole kind of that approach and he takes his own time. and she, So they kind of do that whole thing. But then what happens, and this was when I was like, ah, oh, this is really good. This is when I liked the direct Because up until then, I thought the direction was quite lazy. Mm-hmm. Other than two examples. One is like when his voiceover plays over the porno talking. Yes. I thought that was clever. And then the ending with the dance number. The celebration of getting laid, which is so true. <laughs> so that is exactly what, what, what we, we refer do when to we it as floating, floating on a, cow, a cloud. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, I I made that joke with you all the time yeah. <laughs> to Very do with good. the cloud, but uh, I really appreciate. It. I was like, okay, you know, Judd Apatow, nice one. It was also his uh, feature debut. Yes. So. Yeah, I think the one that came after this was uh, Knocked Up, right? Uh, did he? I guess he did direct that. Yeah. Which I didn't like as much. I didn't like Knocked Up as much. Yeah. But um, the f- the thing is, the reason like this kind of film works as opposed to something like The Ugly Truth doesn't work mm-hmm. 
It's because yeah. that film sort of portrays its own characters. Just made me so angry just yeah. by saying it, just by <laughs> uttering it. It triggered. It triggered it. Your part that green of the brain. screen at the end with the bloody balloon. Oh my god! Uh, but like, as opposed to this film, where Andy is somewhat respected as a virgin, and that's the whole joke. Oh, the forty-year-old virgin. But it's like his character is actually like from a filmic standpoint, we are told yeah. to respect him. We're not told yeah. to laugh at him throughout the film, no, because we're on from he, we're on the ride with him, so so to speak. So I I really enjoyed that. So there's one more mm-hmm. that I watched, uh, and this one I'll I'll brace for it again because I know you want to talk about this. Oh wait, sorry, I got two more I want to talk okay. about. Actually, I'll I'll keep on the uh, the Steve Carell train because I yes. watched Battle of the Sexes. Yes. What was your verdict? Um, it was fine. Mm-hmm. It's. Actually, I talked. I actually talked about this. I forgot we talked about it the other day. Yes. But I was saying how um, the direction really threw me off. First off, it was actually it was directed by uh, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, or Farris, mm-hmm. which at first I thought it was funny. It's like, oh, they did the Captain Marvel thing. They needed to get a guy in to help the woman director. <laughs> but then I found out, just like Captain Marvel, those two directors come as a pair. So like, they did little yeah. big, little Miss Sunshine together, uh, which is something I want to try and catch tonight or tomorrow as well. Dude, such a good movie. Yeah. I love Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, it's sitting on my desk right now. It's ready to go. Very. It's a perfect line of dark comedy. And that's the first time I think Steve Carell did a serious role. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So, brace yourself. Yeah, Paul Dano's in that too. I saw on the DVD covers. Ah, oh, fair enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was interesting the direction because like, I could tell they do, they can, they were good directors. Especially the scene early in the in this thing when Emma Stone, who's who's playing uh, Billie G. King, who's a, a tennis player, and she's sort of like the number one woman tennis player at the time, and then the, that's when the whole very literal battle of sexes begins in kind of the tennis area. And there's a great scene from a direction standpoint where she's getting a haircut from this girl who's who's going to turn out to be sort of her new love interest, mm-hmm. and it's a great intimate scene, the way the camera sort of closes in on them with the music, everything behind them is overexposed, you forget that there are other people in the room, like it's very clever the way the really? scene's directed, and then we get to the actual tennis, and they can't think of any other way to shoot it than just how we watch tennis on broadcasts, and it was a shame, there was no yeah. sort of close-ups. There was no cinematic feel. Yeah, exactly. It did exactly. It did not feel cinematic. Mm. You know, you kind of want your close-ups on it. We were talking about this, like the way sports. Well, you got to dramatize sport. You got to have like a grounded realism. So, uh, if it's like an NFL or an NHL, it's really good to have that hard side cam with the telephoto lens mm. that can quickly adjust focus. Um, and that's cool because that grounds the realism. Mm. But when it comes to a big play or a big serve or a big hit that's when you really got to embrace the cinematic nature. Like, it's good to get crowd perspective mm. or even do telebroadcast shots, but it needs to be mixed in with the cinematic feel. Exactly. Otherwise, yeah. uh, telebroadcast is really good for establishing a scene. Well, or that's a, the thing. A, Geographically, it makes perfect sense. I can t- yes. tell what's happening in the match, but you're right, it's not cinematic. Yeah. They, the way they show their serves or, like, when a big play happens, it's it's entirely done in the edit in terms mm. of, oh, we need to see that Steve Carell's winning in this part of the game. Let's cut it so that bang, 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 we cut to him getting free in a mm. row. And now she's looking sort of, oh, stressed out. And then, yeah, yeah. Sw- you know, swap the table sort of thing, you know. And it was just, that was a shame. It's like I could tell they're good directors, but they didn't know what to do with the tennis aspect. And even thematically, it didn't feel like the tennis aspect was cleverly weaved into Generally, while, like, people keep to, happen. like... Like sports directors generally keep within that sort of confines because yeah. it's, it's a skill of its own. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, to go back to the other film, and I swear this is the last one, Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is a Swedish film that was remade uh, into a, a film called Let Me In, the Americanized version with Chloe Grace Moretz. I watched that like maybe 10 years. I was a young kid when I watched that, and I dug God, it. I she like, would have been young too then. Yeah, she was like, I think it was like just after or just before Kick-Ass. It was around the time. She was very young. Yeah. But that's the idea. It's a young girl. And uh, I don't want to actually spoil too much for you. I really want you to watch either one of those. I think they're actually both equally as good as each so other. Let me, uh, no. you got Let Me In. It's the American version. You've watched both. I watched I watched the American version like 10 years ago. Okay. And I w- finally watched the Swedish version, uh, which, again, I actually think is just as good. I think they're both as good as each other. I think... You know who directed the American version? It was the dude who did the Planet of the Apes. What am I forgetting his oh. name? Matt Reeves. Okay. Yeah, he did the American version. I uh, I remembered it being like, yeah, this is as good as each other. And much like uh, the translation from like the Untouchables into the Upside, mm-hmm. the plot's very much unchanged. So I was watching it remembering a lot of the scenes, but every mm-hmm. now and then I'd be like, oh, I forgot about that detail. I forgot about this detail. So it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah, no, I really I really dug it. I was like, this is so good. I would love, I'd love to watch it because it's so dark and creepy, but... Like, I don't want to get into any real plot stuff. Mm, so it's a thriller. S- uh, yeah, kind of a thriller, almost horror Okay. in a lot of aspects, but like really cleverly done. And what I love about the Swedish version, especially is the looks of the two kids, the two like main characters, because mm-hmm. they just they don't look like movie stars, like in the American version. In this yeah. version, they look kind of like the characters that they're playing, without spoiling sort of what type of film we're no, talking fair, about here. Um, but I, I really dug it. I let the right one in. Sweet as shit. Cool. In a good way. <laughs> In contrast. <laughs> In contrast. <laughs> so, Saturday night, you and I went out for a few drinks, but prior to that, we had a few drinks at our friend Morgan's house. <laughs> we had a few drinks, but before that, we even got a few more drinks. <laughs> and we needed a few more drinks to get through this film. So, uh, we might have talked about it a few times on the show. I do like playing a good old drinking game called Drink to Cringe. Which drink to Cringe. is when you get a terrible film, you watch it, and you drink every time the you cringe. The first time I played Drink to Cringe. This was the first time you played it. Oh. Um, and boy, oh boy. Did we find a doozy on Netflix? Yeah, Netflix published film. Yeah. Swiped. <laughs> and and swipe me away from this existence. That was horrible. That was a horrible hour and a half. That was Oh, man. What do you what do you say to that film? I don't I don't know. First every shot was overexposed. Yes. Uh the plot is ridiculous. It's, it's you called it. It's the social network ripoff. But like yeah. the cheesy kid version that's like so horribly cast and so mm-hmm. horribly misogynistically written by like a 70 year old woman yeah it's written who also and directed and produced exactly yeah <laughs> her depiction of it literally she's like a seven year old woman that wrote about a bunch of college kids developing a dating app so they can get laid more and the <laughs> app they develop is something that's so absurd that there is no woman in woman or man in their right mind that would participate in that app because the whole, the whole premise was the app was you had to send a like a bikini pic before before you do anything. and the guy did not even have to, yeah and the guy didn't even have to reveal his name or something like that and so weird it was wasn't baffling. there a scene where he like deletes all apps ever existed yeah he hacks into every dating app <laughs> With long, with long line of code, because <laughs> mm. he's you know first year IT student at college, he's a genius. Yeah, he's an absolute genius. Everyone likes to remind him how much of a genius he is. Yeah, through um, over expository dialogue. It it is something special. 
it's like I think to myself, I go, how does that get on Netflix? And we don't know. It's on that. Probably for this exact reason. <laughs> to get really drunk watching it. Oh, uh, man. But It was terrible. interesting. In the words of Jack Bett, the great Jack Bett, trash. Trash. It was trash. Trash. But we can move on now, because that's but, what yeah. we've watched this week. Yeah, that's what we've done. Um, so, But we're going to try a different section. Yes, yeah, so instead of a career update, I kind of want to look into some career updates for other people. Ooh. So to speak. So still technically career updates. Yeah, it's just not about us. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, what I wanted to do, Zeke, is we are heavily in award season now. Well, first yes. off, I want to respond to some of the homework you gave me last week. Yes. Well, that we gave uh, ourselves. You were talking about the possibility of Scarlett Johansson getting a best best actress and best supporting actress nod at the Academy this year or the Academy Awards. It's uh, true. In the same year, and you were wondering if anyone had ever done that before. A few people have, but not a lot, to your credit. Okay. So the earliest uh, example of this is 1938 with Faye Bainter, I believe is the name. Uh, and she was nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress in, yeah, 1938 mm-hmm. for White Banners and Jezebel. So, there's yeah, some. Uh, more recently, we had Kate Blanchett in 2007, uh, Best Actress in Elizabeth the Golden Age, and Best Supporting Actress in I'm Not There. There you go. And our boy Jamie Foxx in 2004, Best Actor and Best Supporting Access for Ray and Collateral. So, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch here, if any of them stick out to mm-hmm. you. I'll read out one more. They do have Al Pacino from 1992. Okay. Uh, best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for Scent of a Woman, which he actually won yes. that one. And uh, what is this? Glenary Glenn Ross. Something no, no, no. No Scent of a Woman. All right. Well, I'll, I'll give you this list over here. You tell me if there's any... Notable names you want to point out in here, but that's a good like what twelve, roughly. Oh, you got Julianne Moore. Ah, oh, that's a good point. Emma Thompson. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, there's a few in there. I'm just a misogynistic prick. Kate <laughs> Blanchett. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I talked about yeah. Kate. So Kate Blanchett was the last one in 2007. I I wholeheartedly think Scarlet will be the 2019 example of this. Yeah, yeah, and we'll probably talk about that. Pretty yeah. much now, well, right? Yes, is, essentially. Is um, another one, I mm-hmm. don't think it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. potentially is Brad Pitt for Best Actor in Ad Astra and Best Supporting in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think it's going to happen. Probably get Supporting. He'll, he'll get a nod for Supporting. I think he might, has a good chance of winning, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh just wanted to point it out that that is also a potential one, but I doubt he's going to get nominated for Ad Astra. I mean, the competition is too strong. Now... The Golden Globes 2020 nominations, which are kind of, the, I guess mm-hmm. you would call it the second or third tier, to like heading towards yeah, yeah, the Academy it's, Awards. It's like the preseason. Yeah, exactly. It gives you a good heads up for what to expect exactly. in the future. So I'm going to read off some of the more notable ones, and uh, we, I guess we can just spitball sort of our thoughts on it. Yep. Now, no one worries. of the things I love that they do that uh, the Academy Award does not is that they break up their 10 uh, best pictures into two different categories, the best drama motion picture, mm-hmm. pick five films for that, and the best uh, comedic or musical feature, which I think the musical is a little bit of a throwaway. Mm. But, you know, the more lighthearted side. I actually don't mind that at all, that they do that. Um, anyway, so for best drama, we have The Irishman, Marriage Story 1917, Joker, and The Two Popes. So, um... Cool. Two popes. <laughs> Yay. Uh, well, we can find out in the next week, actually. I think that drops yeah. pretty soon. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, though. Um, but yeah, uh, neither of us have seen 1917, but 
So it was a marriage story and Irishman we've seen, uh, right? Yeah, and Joker. There's the other three. I I, I feel, guess, yeah. I mean, I feel like all three of them will... Pr- well, definitely, I, I feel like I can see Irishman and Marriage Story getting a Best Picture nom- nomination. Probably Joker, too. Yeah. Nomination. Best Picture, just because there's ten of them. Yes. I mean, that's enough that it would slip in. And as we've talked about, the international films all get thrown off to the side. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure pa- Parasite will get a Best Picture nom, but that's about it. Yeah. But no one else will. <laughs> yeah. I know there's talk about The Farewell, but I, is that an international film, technically? I think that... I don't I don't know, but it might border on sort of the... Because mm-hmm. it might be a majority English film. I don't know. I feel like Marriage Story, as uh, I want to call that's my early Oscar shot. If I was to pick for a best pick, it's probably going to be Marriage Story. Yeah, I think I agree with you. In between those five, it's either Marriage Story or the Irishman. So either way, I think Netflix is, is guaranteed for this win in some way or another. Unless something kind of comes out of left field just to spite Netflix. Right, right. Uh, you, know? you, you never know. Uh, best motion picture for a musical or comedy is Dolomite Is My Name, which is also I Netflix. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, which we'll talk about more later in the show. Uh, Knives Out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rocket Man, which would fit See, your... Once Upon a Time is going to get a best picture nod. Oh, definitely. And that's probably got a chance just to spite Netflix to just, I might just give it to Tarantino. I don't know what the Academy would hate more, giving Tarantino a best picture on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, we're about to find it. It's like that Bojack thing. Uh, what do they hate more, uh, gun violence or women? <laughs> it's true, though, because like, Tarantino is kind of like anti-Hollywood, too, yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he's like Hollywood's fanboy, but he's also like what the snobs probably hate. Yeah, like in a way. Horribly outspoken. Ah, I used to work in an adult theatre. Ah, you know, I do whatever I want. That, yeah, that whole spiel. Yeah, I can. I, I see what you mean in terms of having to pick between well, yeah, the I mean, two think of, of the nine films he's done, right? Yeah. None of those films... Uh, I mean, I, I, we probably talked about it way earlier. Yeah, no, this... we did our Pulp Fiction episode, yeah, so we, we might have talked a lot about it there. They don't embody classic Hollywood films. They pay homage to them, but they don't really like mm. they're still his signature that's yeah, sort of what yeah, he does yeah. and then there's the whole like anti-tarantino stuff with the whole like he just copies and homages everything that he puts right. in his films which i think is a very silly argument yes but yeah i i see what you mean i think i honestly think hollywood uh is actually kind of on the lower end out of these five in particular mm-hmm. uh, i think it's nice to rock man got a shout out I'm, I'm not even that big of a fan of rocket man but it's nice to see it in there and I think Taron Edgerton actually did get nominated for a Best Actor in this oh. in the Golden Globes. I'll double check it up. Completely moment. forgot about Rocket Man. <laughs> it was so early, man. It was yeah. so early in the thing. Uh, and you got Knives Out and Jojo Rabbit, which wouldn't surprise. You know what? And if any of these win, it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe Rocket Man would surprise me a bit if it won Best Picture. Yeah, for the musical or comedy. Oh, it, this- sh- it probably should win. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, it was a really pretty different musical. I'm not a big fan of the ending, but... For Rocket Man? Yeah, for Rocket Man. Mm, okay. I'd probably give it to Rocket Man out of... Out of those five? Yeah. Well, you've I'd, seen I'd... all five of these films now. I have. Well, yeah. I have. <laughs> Look at you on I top think of I the had, world. <laughs> I, think I, had, I think I had the most fun in Rocket Man. I think halfway through that film, I legitimately was like, wow, this is like... Because it's so weird, because it was so early. Because all the other ones yeah, there we're that going back listed... to like, what, April now? Yeah, so yeah. Like all that. the other ones you listed, I've watched in the last month and a half. Yeah, exactly. Well, like you know, and I think, I think no one expected Rocket Man. 
What a surprise, a Taron Edging film. No one expected a lot of it and it ended up being pretty good. <laughs> it's Kingsman all over again. Um, but fair like, enough, fair enough. I, th- I think that film did enough different to distinguish itself and it was a way more of a, I hate Bohemian Rhapsody. So it's like, <laughs> it's like to enjoy that film, I didn't like the ending. I didn't like that they resolved it all with that stupid circle monologue where he's just addressing all of the... Circle monologue. <laughs> weirdest ending. Uh, but... See, I felt like it felt more like a sequel to, to Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, my ways. God, you're just... You're full of it. We're, to- <laughs> we're totally doing a Rocketman episode and, like, in the future. Yeah. And that's never my fault episode. that we haven't done one before. I would yeah, take well, I think that. John Wick came out at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I think we ended up doing John Wick or... I think we did Bottle Rocket instead, actually. Where's John Wick's, like, nod? we got to give John Wick a nod. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even got a nod for stunts. That's... There's that a is, stunts thing that didn't get nominated. That is actually a joke. They gave it all to, like, Avengers Endgame and... Like, I think Joker got a stunts nod, which I don't know why. Like, That's... he got hit by a car one time. That was it. Yeah. And Robert De Niro threw his neck out for a minute. Yeah. While they put CGI bullets in the film. What's well, the same thing with, you like, know? half the stuff in, like, the Avengers Endgame stuff, that's all just CGI. I suppose. I, I I get the nod there because there is a lot of, like, wire work in those films, but, yeah, look, it's, Dude, it's yeah. good that they have a stunt category. I like that. Yeah, but to not put John Wick, which right. is probably the epitome of... Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's that's a bit of a joke. That's like the Lego movie for animation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You can dislike the film, but look at the animation. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, best actor for a motion picture and a drama. So you've got Christian Bale for Ford and Ferrari. Uh, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Price for The Two Popes, and Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Hmm. I think I think Adam Driver and Joaquin are like the two, like locks. Man, I watched Ford vs Ferrari, and I just I can't see myself really that compelled to give Christian Bale a nod for it, mm. and it's like, and I think it's because you know you know what Christian Bale is capable of, right? I've seen him in a lot of different things, and I've actually enjoyed... Like, I don't even like things like The Prestige that much, but I think he was better in The Prestige than he was in Ford vs. Ferrari. In Ford vs. Ferrari, he just plays, like, a British bloke, and he's Welsh. <laughs> so it's like, it can't be that hard to, like, differentiate his accent that right, much. Right. I mean, it's Christian Bale, for Christ's sake. This guy loses, like, a bajillion... I-, I watched him in... What was it? The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg? The Fighter, yeah. Oh, my God. It's like, that's... That's... That dude. He's amazing in that film. Yeah. Yes, he, yeah. he is. He compliments Mark Wahlberg perfectly. Like, and he probably steals the show to be H. But like, I'm probably actually going to watch Ford versus Ferrari this week. I think mm-hmm. me and my brother are planning to see it because now I got an open week. But fine. I'm curious. I'm curious. I still want to see it. You'll watch it. And you'll walk out and you'll be like, yeah, it's going to get an Oscar nod. I completely. But like, that's the thing. We were talking about what gets Oscar nod, and I completely forgot about it. But when it rocks right. up in the category nomination, I'll be like, yeah, it makes sense. It's like the Green Book of this year. It's totally... Oh, imagine it's best picture. It's going to win. Ford it probably will. That, I completely no, forgot about no that. There's no way, it's probably gonna get. It's probably going to get there's it. No Did way. Matt Damon get a supporting nod? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. We'll get to that in a moment, though. Um, I'm hearing great things about Antonio Banderas. Are we on the same page with Adam and Joaquin? They're both, like, yeah. kind of toe-to-toe yeah. on that. Yep, yep. Um, and I probably will watch the two posts just because it's coming to Netflix. Yeah. So it's there. I'll be able to watch it. So... Jim Broad, Jim Broadbent, and let's check who's that. It's Jonathan Price and uh, my boy, my boy, uh, so Anthony Hopkins. Those are the two leads, right? I'm gonna believe you because you've said that with confidence. <laughs> well, 
Well, Jonathan Price is here on the thing. Okay, so yeah, and then so, it would be Hopkins, yeah. Yeah, so maybe you got the supporting. Uh, going into Best Actress in a Motion Picture, you got Scarlett Johansson for Marisuri. I should say a drama motion picture, I should clarify. Marisuri, uh, uh, Susan Ronan for Little Women, uh, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, Renee Zellweger for Judy, and Cynthia Evo. Uh, so don't Ewa care for Bombshell either. For Harriet. Bombshell was just like... We've only seen one of these films. Yeah. Bombshell is like I like I've seen that trailer five or six times now, and every time I just think to myself, I'm like, it's just like it's not Spotlight, it's not Spotlight, it doesn't look like Spotlight. <laughs> well, we did Trumbo. Got John Lithgow being a really fat dude. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did we did um Trumbo, which is obviously Jay Rich's previous film on the mm. show. So I'm gonna watch it from that angle. I like the director. I like all three women in it. So go into it. Zeke's pulling a big face right now. <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of... of... Um, we talked about Little Women. I think the big thing is Renee Zellweger for Judy. I think that's what everyone's like, oh, she's going to win. Yeah. So, uh, probably. And I think Scarlett Johansson, we'll get to her in a minute, uh, I think she's got a way better chance in JoJo than Marriage Story, just based on the competition in those categories. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. That's what I'm leaning towards. Uh, let's see. Best Actor... Uh, what have I done here? Okay, well, let's do Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. So you got Daniel Craig for Knives Out, which I thought was an interesting one. Roman Griffith Davis. But you for get Joe. it more now with Logan, after watching Logan Lucky, right? You oh, that's true. Accent. That's yeah. true, yeah. Uh, Roman Griffith Davis for Jojo Rabbit. So that's the kid. That's the main kid. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarrant Edgerton for Rocket Man. And Eddie Murphy for Dolomite is My Name. You know, it's funny. that I really enjoyed watching that Dolomite film. Yeah. Um, that was a I really watch fun it. film. That was a really fun it. film. Oh, that's, I mean, that's on Netflix too. That's yeah, just a really that's easy, easy that's watch. That's easy, yeah. Um, that Who, film, and that film didn't feel like an Oscar film. That just felt like a feel good. I felt like a Disney film in some ways. It wasn't. Like, it's still inappropriate. It was too inappropriate for Disney. It was just the, the tone was <laughs> relatively upbeat. It gotcha, was, gotcha. The, you know when a, like a film just feels like you walk out and you kind of feel a bit, eh, one. It might actually get like a slight push at, um, at Academy. Probably not with its Netflix status. It's getting enough recognition. I think already. at this point the Netflix is starting to like chip in. You know, I think they're starting to. Well, they're going to have to accept it eventually. There'll be Prime doing it soon, and yeah, Stan exactly. will be doing it, and well, HBO. Well, that's, half the films here are Netflix films. Yeah, you know, they're the ones with the most nods here. You know, it's like they they can't avoid it. I feel like who's who are the other nominations? It was Adam Driver uh, that I just read. Then yeah, what was that? What, Oh, for the best comedy. actor in a musical comedy. comedy. So Daniel Craig, yes, uh, Roman Griffith Davis for Jojo Rabbit, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Taron Edgerton. I think out of that collection, and we'll, probably Taron. Yeah, that's Taron. Yeah, you know what? I agree. I think you're right. A, he did. He was incredible in that yeah. film. I I can't argue that. I wanted to be like, oh, Daniel Craig's fun, but I think you're right. I think it's going to go to Rocketman. I prefer Daniel Craig in Logan Lucky hmm. with that like. That bleach blonde hair. Right, he's, he's he was, was fine. Like there's nothing wrong. I, was, I enjoyed him in, but I think he was my favorite part of Knives Out. I think my favorite part of Knives Out was probably like, honestly, like when we talked about it on Anna the episode. Yes, and because she got nominated for best actress in a musical comedy. Yeah, I would. So there you go. I mean, who else got nominated in, in that category? Yes. Uh, so we got Kate Blanchett for Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Uh, Beanie Fieldson for Booksmart. I actually really like that. Which one was that? Uh, she's How the main she... one. She's the one that overhears the conversation in the bathroom. And then everyone's like, oh, where? She's the the girl who ends up with the boy. She's not the... Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does she end up with a boy? Wait, which 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 chick is it? 
the one who overhears in the, the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, she, which the, one of the main chicks Okay, is there's it? a lesbian and a non-lesbian. Okay, then is it the so non-lesbian? She is the non-lesbian. <laughs> she was so funny in that film. <laughs> it's the best way I can say Because I forgot their names. I'm sorry, I forgot their oh, names. Oh, it's been like 45 but, um, episodes. Yeah, it's that. true. But um, I love that nomination. I love yeah, that I'm, she's getting a nod there. I'm surprised both of them didn't get... I like Actually, she was definitely the strong half of the two, I think. They're both very lovable, though. That's the thing. They're both lovable, but one's funny. She's in, um, she's in Lady Bird. She's like the side friend in Lady Bird, actually. Oh, okay. So that was a fun little... Oh, she's there and she's chill. She's funny. She's really yeah. funny in that. Um, and Emma Thompson for Late Night. And uh, Aqu- oh, I'm going to butcher this. Aquafina for The Farewell. Okay. So um, out of that list... Only off the ones I know. Yeah, we've uh, only seen two of these. Probably the... Yeah, Booksmart. Probably f- off of Booksmart. What was the other? What was the other? Oh, and... Uh, you had Beanie Fieldstein oh, and Anna Diarmas. Oh, that was a tough one, out. actually. They're both really good. Honestly, probably... How do I pronounce that? Beanie of... uh, Beanie Fieldstein. Okay, yeah. I'd give it to her. She made me laugh a lot in that movie. Yeah, that either bit, one of those two that guys... That when they're on acid or whatever, and they're like, oh. I think they're Barbie dolls. <laughs> Too funny. Oh, uh, so good. Um, all right, I'm trying to figure out... I think I've read all of them except the supporting cast for all of these... Uh, oh, well, I'll, I'll give a shout-out. Best Motion Picture Foreign Language for The Farewell. Uh, Les Marebles. Like, what? What? Like Les Miserables? No, but it's like spelt like Miserables. Yeah. yeah. Take a look at this. Is that it? Because that movie already came out. Yeah, it's Les Miserables. <laughs> it's an Amazon uh, film, apparently. Anyway, it's like been like four versions of Les Miserables. Ah, uh, I see, I see. All right, you've also got Pain and Glory... Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So you probably think Parasite's got it right. Oh, yeah, I think Parasite's... I haven't watched any of them, like, so I'm going to trust your opinion enough, on that fair one. Fair enough, But I've only seen Parasite out of that selection, so there's also that. Uh, best Actress in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture. Okay, so I think the supporting is fair game for mm-hmm. all genres. You've got Kathy Bates uh, Yeah, for Richard Jewell. I couldn't tell if that was the movie or the character name. Uh, Annette uh, ben- Benning for The Report. Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers, and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. So I've only seen Marriage Story there, and I think Laura Dern is great in it. Actually, wait, I thought that Scarlett Johansson got a nod for JoJo. I guess not. Oh, okay. In that case, Laura Dern, I would, that would be yeah, worth my vote. Yeah, I'd give Laura Dern. She was really good in that film. Cool. And best actor in a supporting role in any motion picture, you've got Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which I'm really keen on watching. Mm-hmm. I think that's out over here next month. Uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, both Al Pacino and Joe Pesci for The Irishman. Good stuff. And Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, and I'll run through these really quickly. There's a few more I want to talk about. Best Director for Motion Picture, you got Bon Joho for Bar- Parasite, mm-hmm. Sam Mendes for 1917, Todd Phillips for Joker, Scorsese for The Irishman, and Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, out of that selection, uh, I wish... I wish Wittiti was in here. We'll talk about Tiger in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of that selection, I think Tarantino might Probably Tarantino. Yeah. has the best shot. If not, Bon Jo Ho. He might get a two. director nod. Mm. I, I just see it happening this time. Because yeah. I don't know. He's getting a lot of writing uh, credentials, but not a lot of directing credentials. So I'd like to see that acknowledged, rather. Uh, you have Best Original Score for Little Women, Joker, Marriage Story 1917, and Motherless Brooklyn, and I think that's going to have to go to Joker. I think Joker is easily the best oh, that's soundtrack cool. that's great. out yeah. of that whole uh, section. 
uh, best original song. You have songs from Beautiful Ghost. Uh, sorry, from Cats, which is Beautiful Ghost. Rocket Man, I'm gonna love me more. Frozen Two, Into the Unknown, The Lion King, Spirit, and Harriet Stand Up. Rocket Man should be Rocket Man's choice. That's shocking. <laughs> Rocket Man's so shocking. good. Um, but yeah, and now we're getting into a bunch of like the TV um, sort of accolades. There was one here I wanted to read. Oh, there was best animated film. Mm-hmm. Which that was that's the last one I want to read to you, just because I want to get your reaction to a couple of these. So, best motion picture animated, Frozen Two, How to Train Your Dragon: A Hidden World, uh, Missing Link, Toy Story Four, and The Lion King. <laughs> it's got to be um, How to Train Your Dragon. That was a really pretty animation. Everyone forgets about. Mm. Out of I've seen all but Frozen Two and The Missing Link. I think the missing link from what I've seen, it kind of looks like the throwaway in there. <laughs> it doesn't look great. Um, I might agree with you. How to Train Your Dragon. Just because Toy Story 4, even though the animation Toy Story 4 is amazing, I still can't get behind some of the story, story elements yeah. of that film. And I haven't it probably seen will get 2, the win, though. Yeah. This, uh, Pixar always tend to do it. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a safe. All right. But that's. Uh, I wanted to give you guys that because, frankly, it probably won't be till a very long time before we can talk about current uh, award season info for a while, so I wanted to spend a bit of time to get through the Golden Globe nominations there. That's fair. So, there we go. Alright, well, I'm happy with that, sir. No dramas. So, I guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week. Jake, Ooh. what are we watching? This week on the show, we're watching Jojo Rabbit. Here's Marshall Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ah! ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Was? Of course you can. Jojo is a lonely German boy who discovers that his single mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their attic. This film was directed by Tucker Watiti and Ooh. is good fun. Good fun. Thank you for joining us. No, yeah. I'm <laughs> no honestly, um, we caught a pre-screening. Yes. So uh, us in Aussie land, we get films very, very late. Yes, we this do. It's been out in the US for like a couple of months, I think now. It's been out for a while. Seriously? Yeah. Um, so we missed out on that. But here in Australia, we did get an early screening. They had a few on the 15th of December, just that one day. And we caught it at Luna with probably one of the best audiences we've sat with in years. Oh, yeah. People yeah. were hyped for What's this it been? movie. It's been 48 episodes. That's probably, what, 47 weeks of us complaining about how bad our audiences <laughs> have been. So there we go. We uh, finally got a good audience. The worst audience I ever sat in was when I watched a Netflix film in my room. Ha, ha, ha. Self-deprecating humor. Nice. No, it was a great fun. So uh, hopefully anyone else who caught that screening or was able to see the film prior can listen to the show in full comfort. If you haven't and you have to wait till boxing to watch it, don't worry. No spoilers for at least a little while. Yes, and we will really notify when the spoiler territory comes in. Oh, It'll be like man. a real, real like get out. <laughs> <laughs> get out, you bastard. No, obviously um, this is... Uh, obviously, Tucker Watiti is ever since Thor Ragnarok really kind of shot into That's sort of mainstream up, yeah. culture. Um, I think beforehand, I'd only I'd managed to catch two of his films before Thor Ragnarok, and he was definitely relatively well known in the Australian cinema community because obviously Australia, New Zealand, relatively close. Mm. Most of the cinematic Kiwi. community does overlap. Most yeah. of our cultures do overlap with one another. I mean, Christ. Our flags are pretty much the same thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Getting started on a nationalism talk right there. But they it. are. Uh, 
Well, I think I think he was most known for um, what we do in the shadows, but that was more of a case that people knew the film. I don't think people necessarily and, knew and him. Hunt for the Wilder People. Right. Okay. So I've actually caught three of his films before Ragnarok. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I had only seen. Uh, I saw chunks of what we do in the shadows. In fact, I remember people reckoning recommending it to me. Like years ago, in strokes, like just out of nowhere, people all of a sudden just throwing. And I was like, oh, I don't want to watch this dumb vampire film, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I watched like chunks of it, and I was like, this is hilarious. And I finally caught the whole thing, I think only this year. It's like right at the start in January, I finally watched the whole film from front to back. And Enjoy. I've seen the short film yeah. of him and the kill and the, the cars. Yes. I've seen that. And of course, for Ragnarok. But I'm not that hugely. In bursts in Taika Waititi content. So, yeah. No, I think he's definitely... He's starting to push more and more towards the Edgar Wright, Wes Anderson school of uh, basically every hipster screen student <laughs> wants to do a Taika Waititi film, much like a... He's really starting to push towards that. I mean, most people you talk to around our age, they'll be like, their big influences have always been Wes Anderson... Uh, more recently, Edgar Wright, and I think he's going to be that mm. next person that's going to be like, oh, he has the awkward, yeah. especially the after, years, th- after Thor right. Ragnarok. I mean, I think that film was really enjoyed by people who live in the s- southern hemisphere more than the northern <laughs> hemisphere. Um, I definitely think, because okay. no, it's funny, because okay. like, I think he got like, he got critical praise, but from like, if you ever speak to someone from America, for instance, but most people don't hold Thor Ragnarok as as high up on the list as people from Australia do. Cause Just because of the humour disconnect? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. you, you got to think, uh, every region has different types of humour, and it's kind of strange, but Australians are always attracted more to, obviously, Australian humour, but mm. British and New Zealand humour, because it's all region-related, whereas right. American brand humour, that's why there's often... If there's a British comedy, like comedic act, it gets Americanized. Take The Office, yeah. Take Death yeah. at a Funeral, mm-hmm. had a British one, then got put into an American version. I'm surprised and, we haven't got an American Mr. Bean. How bad that would be! Well, it probably that would be is. so they, insensitive. You know, there, probably, there probably was one, <laughs> and it That'd probably didn't so didn't go because there are a lot of like American attempts at British and Australian humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they've tried. Isn't and they it Kath and Kim one as well? I think so, yeah. They yeah. had an Americanized version and it just failed and they yeah, only yeah. got like a season. They lost the accents, they lost the quality. And I think that's, <laughs> like, we really enjoy Thor Ragnarok, but that's because... Uh, you more than I did, I think. I mean, I... I, 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 I thought it was <laughs> fine, but I was more, uh, like, I didn't like how much the tonal shift changed from the first mm. two. In the, like, his character almost completely changes in that film, which is fine. I, it just doesn't mean that I loved it. But I uh, just wanted to say that before we jump further. No, on, that's I suppose. fair. It's fair. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, coming back to the film, uh, I really enjoyed this film. Mm. Is it my? I'll straight up say, is this my favorite Takawatiti film? No, it is not. Mm. Um, I think what we do in the shadows has that that film, especially re- region wise, has influenced a lot of people. That the mockumentary culture is the way right. to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We're seeing that even around here. Oh, yeah. There's some of the influences here, right? Definitely. Um, I think that film is hilarious. Mm. Um, it's just a bit of fun. If I was thinking of the best cinematic experience from him, I still think Hunt for the Wilder People is better. i got to catch that. And Boy. No, I think JoJo is better than Boy. Okay. I wasn't a huge... Like, I like Boy, but it's not like... 
I actually think this film's this film is the most international from its cast to its like it's the most ambitious film he's ever done. Right. Okay. I feel is it his most dangerous film as well? You would say absolutely. I mean, he did a mockumentary about vampires. Who's he going to offend with that? Like (laughs) vampires, obviously. Of course, of course. (laughs) And Hunt for the Wilder People was basically just uh, a a cat and mouse film, right? Um, with like. Some real heartfelt, like he always puts heart in his films, and he's really good at putting a heart, lot of heart in his film. In this film yeah. And boys, the exact same. Like they've all got really good balance between mm. comedy and and tragedy. And this film, especially, run the biggest risks of messing that up. Absolutely. But I do think it knocks it out of the park. I, th- I think I said it to you like we literally walked out of here, and I was like, I want to see him win Best Director for that. That is the best direction I've seen all year. That was in the spirit of the moment. I think Parasite is still up there, but in terms of his direction of this film, mm-hmm. the balance act that he has to do uh, with such a real serious event. And like, mm-hmm. We were talking about like The Pianist, which I watched not that long ago. Yeah. You could even compare this like The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which is also yep. like from a child's perspective, and that's a much more serious film, and that has a mm. very, very grim ending. Yes. Uh, but uh, with this film, it's, it's such a tight wire that he has to walk, and I think he does it really really well absolutely i think um i think the marketing material from this definitely frames the idea because obviously up until last week as i said on the show Mm. i didn't realize hitler was an imaginary friend like because i hadn't seen any of the trailers and like i saw the picture and i because i knew i was gonna see the film but i definitely think watching the trailer now um they frame hitler as a comedic character mm. and he does serve comedic scenes, but obviously, uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's still, he's still walks the perfect balance with Hitler too. Right. Cause the, every now and then he does have a little outburst or even hints of outburst. Yeah. That show he's serious. Side. But for the most part, he is like that fun, jealous friend and they, He's, you know, he's sitting in the corner with the binoculars being like that. You know, yeah, that very facial. much a fun, overprotective I friend. I love it. Who's always trying to lead you down the, the path of, like, straight down the path. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I This film is, it's. I said to you, um, without delving into spoilers or anything, right. this film feels like the most Wes Anderson, Takawatiti film I've seen. Very Moonrise Kingdom vibes oh, yeah. in this film. Especially yeah. in the opening sequence, really got a... He's really starting to push more, and that's what makes me think more and more that he's going to get pushed into those directors that right that young aspiring filmmakers are definitely because they're like young aspiring filmmakers definitely in our immediate circle are heavily influenced more by that stuff rather than a Scorsese and right, stuff. Right, right, right. Maybe it's because they think they're dated, which we watch The Irishman; they can prove they're not dated. Mm. Um, but I think nowadays at least in our generation of filmmakers, for some reason we think we need to def- like define the cinematic norm all the time, which is what Wes Anderson and, and Edgar Wright do. And I and I think there's a fun balance between both worlds of, of what makes classical cinema great and then what makes contemporary cinema great. Mm. But definitely the colour palette in this film, obviously, once again, tackling such a... Uh, a dark... Ten- oh, a, a, a dark time. Yeah. Yeah. And have the very saturated colours was very intriguing. Um, well, it was interesting you say saturated because there is that. 
Mm. But I found more often than not, looking at the screen, that it was very dry grey colours, like a lot, even well, during comedic them. scenes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, well, let's look at another film that takes place around a similar time period, Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. Um, and that was definitely very bright colours. Mm. Um, and I think that was why, and I don't know, anywhere between the way that Tucker Watiti framed his shots in this one, how he wanted his shots to be shot, it definitely felt like it was in that Wes Anderson school. There were times where uh, there was a very uh, huge influence on height in this film. Oh, huge. Um, And the way he used rule of thirds between really tall characters, particularly the main kid, Jojo, um, who's often looking up at every other character because he's a very small 10-year-old boy. Yeah. um, Who's... Kind of like, yeah, he's always being pulled around by towering presence. Well, and he- it's that cool thing because, like, yeah, you're right. It's a small kid, very impressionable, and it's mm. it's all to do with the influences around him. And I think that's what yeah. this film is mostly about. I've read some. Uh, the fun thing to do if I ever want to like depress myself is to look at half star reviews on Letterbox of a film. Mm-hmm. And the half star reviews of this film are like drive me nuts because it's a lot of like this is horrible, it's super insensitive, blah blah blah. But the one comment that stood out is that he's a very passive character. He doesn't make a lot of plot-driving decisions throughout the film. And I thought about it, and I was like, it's kind of true. But he's also an impressionable kid. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think it goes back to the impressionism. That's what we're trying to say, because it's it's the anti-war satire is what this film is. It's, you know, get rid of hate, love, love, man, you know, that kind of thing. And I think the influences around him is... Very much the the main heart of the film. And I think it comes back to, I mean, the opening title sequence, and this is obviously not huge spoiler because it's the opening title sequence, mm. it's archival footage of right, a lot right. of young, influential kids being influenced by the Third Reich's movement, the mm. Nazi movement. And you got to think for a kid like Jojo, and this is in 19... This film takes place, I believe, in well, 1944. Toward, I think it's... Yeah, I would guess so, because it's towards the end of the end war. End of the war. So let's say it's 1944, because... Yeah. Uh, I don't think much time passed. Well, Germany either. surrendered before Japan did. Um, mm. And... Okay. Uh, so what happened was... Yeah, so it takes place around 1944. So you got to think that means Jojo, being 10 years old, was born in 1934. Which mm. means over half his life, he's grown up in World War Two. Yeah. Like, that's... Cra- and not to mention the five years before that, that was when Germany rose to power slowly yeah, exactly. over time. So, so in Germany, I mean, that was going on decades. Their jealousy well, the, the, of other I countries. Well, I mean, particularly the fascist movement began in, like, 1933. Mm. So he's born in 1934. So his entire his life, life yeah. was the rise of the fascist movement. Very political landscape that he's in. Yeah, he was literally born into the Great Depression. Mm. So... I think the whole thing is to show that cultural influence is a landscape of which we're born into. Yeah. We can't affect it. Um, it's It affects our attitudes and shapes. It's why people like his mum have very quietly liberal points of view compared mm. to the the kid that where his dad apparently went off to fight in Italy. And yeah, his dad's missing. His sort sister's of passed away, so he's yep. not got any other viewpoint but his mum and himself and he has to spend most of his days by himself Mm. so he's often influenced literally by the world around him the media he consumes and the cultural like landscape which was it's germany because it's going to be hugely fascist i mean and i think that's what i like about this film because it's like yeah he yeah he doesn't make a lot of decisions himself but he's also a 10 year old 
how many decisions do 10-year-olds make? Exactly. And I feel like the times that... what what I've, I've pondered around this idea, and the times that he does try to make change is is it's hate driven you know it's when he goes to grab the grenade early in the film like yes. it snatches off his tutor or like when he first discovers the girl in the attic and it's an impul- he tries to kill her several times yeah and it's an impulsive decision like the grenade grab it's a result of other kids prodding him mm. so of course he makes and an his irrational- imaginary friend egg him on yes prove your worth to them you know that yeah. kind of thing exactly so I, I didn't have a problem with that at all I thought that was all makes perfect sense I mean the way you describe it and I think that's a lot of the subtext people forget in this like period piece, you're well, right. He becomes, was born into the Great Depression. He was born into a Germany that wanted revenge. Well, it's, it's, it's a structuralist analysis. It's like, mm. it's like we get films. Yeah, here, take this for instance. We like the only film really like that most contemporary viewers might have consumed before this from the age that JoJo is is mm. Boy in Striped Pajamas. Yeah, and that blatantly shows the contrast between a boy that was. German and a boy that's Jewish mm. and they both play the same side. And I like Boy in Stripe Pajamas, but a lot of the subtext is very on the nose. It's very clear cut. Mm. It's there's no real they both don't have like for instance the from what my memory and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't watched Boy in Stripe Pajamas in many years. Mm. But he never tries to kill the other Jewish boy. No. He's just curious about his culture. And I stuff. think the difference. You're right. In in the boy in striped pajamas, he he doesn't know about Jewish people. He doesn't know about the war. He's 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 not a fascist person. He's yeah. just he's just lives with his family, who happens to have a German officer father. Exactly. They're, he's less impressionable to the nationalist nationalism around him than Jojo is. Mm. And I think the thing with Jojo is obviously he has Adolf Hitler as his imaginary friend. Yeah. He's always we have a visual representation in in Waka Taika Waititi's performance. Yes, of the societal pressure on this exactly. kid to be influenced by the yeah. culture around his father figure. If anything, it's being braver than a film like Boy in Striped Pajamas. Oh, way because, braver, yeah. Because Boy in Striped Pajamas, we get this kid that's basically a neutral party. He doesn't spend a lot of time like he just he's just curious about another person's culture yeah and is too ignorant to know about the circumstances and the situation which if anything makes that kid kind of dumber because and i think that kid's uh, older in boys sharp pajamas i think they're about the same age mm, okay well i mean i think i think the the main talking point is with jojo it is a, a what's the word it's trickier or it's it's a it's a harder road to to walk but it also gives you more character growth and opportunity because now he has to, instead of being a blank slate, like mm. in the boy in striped pajamas and then learning like, Oh, Jewish people are okay. It, in this film, he has to transform from one into the other. If he's yeah. trying to kill a random Jewish person who's hidden in his home, who has, and he has these absurd like ideologies about what Jewish people yeah, are. That they can fly and that they suck blood and like all these kind of mm. like ridiculous things. And she plays it off. I think her name's Elsa. Elsa, yeah. Yeah, she plays with it. She's quirky and fun, and she's like... Well, she's yeah. significantly older, too, which yes, really I mean, helps with the dynamic. she's 17 and he's 12. Yes. No, so he's 10. He's 10? He's 10. Oh, okay. But yeah, you're right. Big age um, gap there. Big age gap. But I think, like, another thing that makes this film braver in its, its, its approach is it takes a 10-year-old, whereas things like The Pianist, they take a fully grown... Like, Adrian Brody is a fully grown man. He yep. is... I. Don't know his age. I'm probably in the book. It tells you what his age is, but we I guess let's just say he's in his mid twenties, his early thirties. Yeah, yeah. He's an adult. he grew up in a world where, in a society where Jewish people were once accepted by the culture that he's mm. in, like, and that's the difference. It's like that makes his journey 
different because it becomes like like the whole perspective is different. It becomes like, yeah, it's grittier and darker and it's more tonally sensitive to the actual time frame. But it's yeah. also like they're both trying to get across the same points with different approaches. And yeah. I think why would you want to watch a film that's got like the pianist tone, but it's told from the perspective of a 10 year old rather than this film? Yeah. Because there's no, uh, there's no danger in something like the pianist with Adrian Brody's character of, of him changing mindsets of his ideology changing while in Jojo, we start off with his ideology completely switched already. So there's more room to play with in Jojo. I mean, I don't have the argument, does the pianist really have an arc? Because the most of it is him just trying to survive. It's a survival story, yeah. It's survival, survival, survival. Oh, he thinks all Nazis are bad. Some German sympathizers come along. Lives a bit longer. Like, it literally, he goes from stage to stage of survival. Yeah. And slowly loses it. And, it do- and then it does like, oh, we're supposed to demonize all Germans, but then we're not because they're sympathizers. Yep. And then, of course, at the end, there's an incredibly tense scene. But does he really undergo an arc? I get Because he ends because... up in the exact same place, essentially, where he starts. Right, yeah. By the end of the war, he still gets to go back and play. He just has lost a lot. Yeah. That film, not necessarily... Not necessarily I don't feel like that film's teaching you as much as I think. Film. I think that film's thematic. I think I said it on the show before that I think that film's about the value of art in society. Yeah. As someone who can play music in a time when you would imagine art is completely irrelevant to survival stakes. I guess he just doesn't get many opportunities to play music, though. Mm. And I think like that's... in the film? Yeah. Well, yeah. He, gets, he, gets, he gets bits and bobs. They're like, bits and bobs, yeah. But... And it plays in the big moments towards the end. Yes. But I think that's what that film's focusing on, while this one is straight up a character... Story. Yeah, character yeah. story, a, a full-on, e- full-fledged evolution, character arc, yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I, we can talk a bit about some of the... Uh, maybe some of the characters or the, the the sets or stuff before we get into spoilers. Um, I and you said this to me too. I really noticed like the costumes were really great. Yeah, I wanted to see a costume nod. Mm, I oh. love that Jojo and his mum with the same pajamas. Yeah, like it's, that's cute. I think I think <laughs> Sam Rockwell's outfit. Oh, uh, like his, both, his, both his, all, yeah, his yeah, entire yeah. like character, like the idea about him. This is not too much of a spoiler. It's in his opening scene about how he loses one of his eyes in an attack and now he's incapable of doing anything else (laughs) with his pseudo-gay relationship with Alfie Allen. Oh, was that that obvious? Yeah, there was was a couple of moments where they're like staring into each other's eyes. Because I I read a thing. I read a thing about it and I was like, wait, what? I completely missed that. Yeah. Oh, I guess I'm just a distracted little boy. Uh, There are some... To be fair, this when this film makes you laugh, you're mm. laughing, you might miss another joke. That's how hard you're That's laughing. That's what I noticed about um, Elsa's character is so much of her dialogue. I caught it. I could still hear it, but so much of it was drained in laughter because Jojo would say something funny or, you know, Adolf Hitler would say yeah. something funny. And usually her lines are the response to that. And it's easy to miss those lines because yeah. we had such great laughter in the theater. Yeah, I think I think Rebel Wilson's character pulls out some of the best jokes in the film, but it also That's makes so you funny. miss... And I, not big fan of Rebel Wilson, but she was really funny in this film. Um, Her, um, she has two amazing lines, uh, which I think, I think it's safe to say both in the non-spoiler section. Oh, I don't know. No, nah. well, I'll say the first one at least about the the pregnancy one. Yeah, okay, because that's in the opening scene. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's hilarious, and that, that was probably the one time the audience were like, <gasps> like they were afraid to laugh at a joke. I'm glad this film has that. Has some jokes yeah. that are a little Bill Burrish, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
It but, was a straight because uh, yeah. I said this to you before we went into the theater. I said to Jack too. I was like, the people that went to this screening, I was I was a little surprised how but, into it they were. Yeah, yeah. I was going to. I was afraid when I saw the crowd moving in that they were going to be quick to not laugh at stuff for fear of political gotcha. correctness. And... Gotcha, gotcha. Now to be fair, this film isn't like insanely. Anti-PC. No, absolutely It's a not. few jokes sprinkled around that are this like is just a little society we live world. in. Society. Yeah. No, but it's true. Um, yeah, I guess we can get into the spoilers All right. in certain places. This is this is a thank you for listening to the pre-spoiler section. Um, um, watch this movie on Boxing Day. It's really, really, really good. Yes, absolutely. Um, but we are moving into uh, spoiler territory, and I would... Roughly skip forward about 10 minutes. Just in that <laughs> general Well, at this point, you might as well just watch the film come back. Yeah. Later. Yeah, exactly. Unless you you're too lazy to look up what's coming out next week in cinemas. That's true, actually. <laughs> you're going to listen to us talk about it. Well, that's just it. smarter, yeah. Listen to Jake. Don't listen to me. <laughs> I don't listen to me. That's a bad idea. Okay, spoilers. Jake, right. do you want to kick us off? Sure. So this, uh, you were correct. I I thought that this was an original script. This actually is an adaption, as you called out in the opening. It wasn't. Yeah, it was in the opening credits. Yeah, it's an adaption of Caging Skies. And ironically, uh, Wittiti was very scared to to pitch this film, so he just straight up wrote a script and went to pitch that. I remember hearing him talk about this, and apparently one of the deals to get the movie made was that he had to play Adolf Hitler. So he never actually wrote the character, assuming that he would play it. That was actually one of the deals he had to do to get the film made in the first place. Stuff was really interesting. Hmm. So there's some good executives out there <laughs> making really clever decisions. Why do you think that's a clever decision? I think because in terms of getting people into the film, like based on its absurdity and based on the risky tightrope of a film, it is. I think they were clever in getting him to play that character. I agree. So it's I a little showmanship in that way. Yeah, and it's also... It actually has the Mel Brooks effect because mm. Mel Brooks did this quite a bit in his films, particularly Blazing Saddles, which obviously had um, some real full-on sequences. I mean, he appears in all of his films, but that one was definitely one of the more full-on ones. He plays right. the governor in that. It doesn't play a huge role, but he's in it enough to be like, all right, he is willing to lead his... Film army into the right, into yeah. the abyss of political correctness, <laughs> if need be. And I agree because it's like by putting Takawatiti in that role of Hitler, it just becomes kind of safer than if you casted someone like mm. some like a real well, a real act. Like a, I would, and I know Takawatiti can act, but I'm saying like a defined actor. Right, like if like, you put like a name, if you name. put Sam Rockwell. Yeah, exactly. In the Hitler role. It would suddenly become a weird sort of tone, because we've seen Sam Rockwell in Oscar-worthy performances where we haven't seen Takawatiti in that sort of light. Yeah. And also, he plays characters in pretty much all of his films. But you're uh, right, he plays like the Korgs of his well, he, characters. He plays like an uptight vampire that's yeah. constantly talking about <laughs> schedules of washing dishes. I mean, or not even being able to suck a human's blood properly so he ends up spurting out, you know? <laughs> it's like, or, he, yeah, he plays the rock monster. That the can rock really... monster. <laughs> He's a rock monster. He is, I know. That's why it's so great. But uh, you're right. It, I think it was clever, especially because I'm pretty sure he is Jewish. So you get that added sort of, like... I'm okay with this. Hopefully other people are okay with this. Yeah, I think Mel Brooks walked a similar line where he always made fun of Jewish people when he was Jewish. Mm. So, 
There you it's go. Sort of a it's like the South Park effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, target everyone. <laughs> it is because it becomes parody. It becomes parody, but it comes safer parody because yeah. it's not insensitive. I guess if you, I mean, people could still be like pissed off by it, but I guess there's a, there's, there's a always going to be someone pissed off by something. Exactly. But yeah, no. Um, I think uh, that's a really interesting fact that you've pulled up there. Yeah, I'm, I remember he's very he, funny. That was like months ago when I found that. I was like, ah, oh, fair he's, enough. He's very funny in it. Yeah, it he's, goes again. It goes back to like his performance, where it's it's very. You're right. It's the overprotected sort of father brother dynamic. Who's jealous of the other friends? And, I think jealous friends the better way of. Putting yeah, it. he's not really a mentor. He's. I mean, I, I guess he's like a jealous brother would be the more accurate one than father. I wouldn't say he's a father figure. Yeah, I guess. I guess the age thing is like the father figure, but you're right. The actual but dynamic. But his maturity is very much yeah, that, on the line. Yeah, that's the word. It's the maturity. It's lack of maturity. Yeah. It makes his performance so funny. Everything from him wearing, for some reason, he's wearing a Mohican hat and yelling out to Scarlett Johansson to like, <laughs> what are you burning? But it's like, no, like he's... Even or, as the swimsuit. Or he's, he's having swimming. a go at, at Jojo <laughs> in the library, shushing him back. Like that's oh, yeah. not something a father would do. That's right, something yeah. You're more right. That's a friend-brother vibe. Yeah. Of dynamic. And I think it works so well when he's talking to Elsa and they're having this, um, you know, the back and forth, like their relationship is developing. He's He thinks he's learning more about Jewish people, but really they're becoming mm-hmm. closer friends upon the discovery of her being up in the, the, the higher stairs or whatever. I don't know words. But then when he goes into the other room and Hitler's there, and then he starts saying, like, oh, why are you getting along with this girl? You know, like mm. he's getting jealous and that, or he's lying in the bed. And he's like, oh, like, none of this should be weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that stuff is just brilliant. I love but it. at the same time, he does carry a real undertones of mm. menace, which, particularly coming in his latter scenes, when he's when Jojo's starting to sort of rebel against what Hitler's, like, and he's really starting to put his foot down yeah. and really start to show sort of that this is all kind of, his uppity persona is sort of, a mask for what's really behind, you know, it's yeah, the yeah. mask behind the monster. And particularly in those latter scenes, which, um, because we're now in spoiler territory, Absolutely. when of course Hitler, like in real life, did kill himself. Um, and it was just like thrown out there. It's like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. He's shot himself in the mouth. Yeah. Just as the town is about to go under yeah. attack, um, we think, oh, well, maybe we're not going to see him, but we do get to see one more interaction one more with him. And I'm glad we do. I like the fact that he's changed in colour in his attire. Oh, I didn't notice that. Nice. There is a slight colour. There is a gradual shift into the grey, more dictator-esque attire over the light beige. Right. I did notice he had, like, bullet holes in his head, though. Yes. So he is dead in this ver- I love yes. that. I was like, that's a cool detail. Well, I mean, at the end of that, he is a projection of Jojo. So if Jojo has the information of him being shot dead, in the head, yeah. which he does get that information. Then that's um, what he says, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, and then you get the payoff line. What does he yeah, say? Fuck He's off Hitler. Fuck off Hitler, and he just boots him through the window. It was a very... It was a crowd pleaser moment. Yeah, it was a crowd pleaser moment. But yeah, honestly... It's a fun I, way to complete his arc. This, like, the Hitler stuff, honestly, in this film, there is menace, like I said, in those scenes, but he never feels... Threatening. No. In fact, the real threat comes from, ironically... Well, it's the real Nazis that are, like, in and out of the situation. You're having some trouble there. Oh, my God. No, that's right. You're good. We're okay. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, that scene with uh, Stephen Merchant... 
Yes. Uh, which we've got uh. to talk about. That's the real threat, because often, like, the only depictions of Nazis up until this point were... A friendly a, Nazi. Well, well, imaginary Hitler and idiots, really. Yeah. Like, And they're all on JoJo's side. Yeah, I mean, like... Sam Rockwell and uh, is this washed-up captain that's been crippled mm. in the battlefield and has to teach kids what to do. And his left and right-hand woman and man are his assumingly secret gay lover, right, or at yeah, least yeah. aspiration to, which is played by Alfie Allen. Unfortunately, he doesn't get a lot of lines in this film, mm. um, and I'm a bit disappointed by that because he's a really good actor. Right. And he's, I wish he'd had a bit more... He's basically just Sam Rockwell's Echo, Echo for the most Echo, part. Echoes, yeah. And Rebel Wilson, who is playing Rebel Wilson, basically, but German version. Yeah, German, which is fine. Yeah. German version is better than a normal version, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and she's always, like, she's just, like, she, like, hit, and she hit some of the funniest lines. Well, now we can talk about the hug the American line. <laughs> yeah, when she's strapping. And I think that's, like, that's, that's a great so example. Good. That's a great example of. I know you haven't seen a lot of Mel Brooks films, no. but that's something that he would do in one of his films, which is basically something that makes you laugh, but then after you laugh, you feel bad for laughing at it. Right, yeah, yeah. The idea of <laughs> this child kamikazing it's, <laughs> it's the child. underlying like message in the joke, where you're oh, laughing, man. but you're like, I shouldn't be laughing at yeah, that, yeah, because yeah. that's horrible, and that's probably something they actually did do. And, like, you know for a fact that child is dead. Yes. Like, in the in the, the world of the film, like, he dies immediately after that. Yeah. So, it's an interesting <laughs> line. So messed but it's, up. But it's, but it's, but it's, the comedic... It's really the, funny. The that's dark the problem, undertone. yeah. This and is so funny. I think this film is a tonal roller coaster, but it's not... Something that leaves you sick afterwards is something oh, you absolutely enjoy. Absolutely not. Well, it goes back to the heart. Mm-hmm. There's enough heart in the film to to get you over those those hurdles. And yeah. I think I know I'm pretty confident saying this might be your highlight scene. Yeah, but probably. I think it's important to talk about in terms of the arc of his mum because we haven't talked about Scarlett Johansson much in this film. No, we haven't. Um, she is probably still deserving of an of a supporting nod simply because I can't think of. Many other people. I think she's category. got a better chance at winning a supporting in this than best actress. For just because of the competition, that's my thought. Okay. Um I think she might get a, a nod in both, but probably not win either. Right. Um, and she's just she's more flashy in this film. And she's got more like she's more of an actress in this film. She gets the dance, she gets the laugh, she gets she does the stuff with the makeup or the, the no, really she creates the scene. beard. Out of like yeah. coal and pretends to be the yeah. dad, like it's a much showier yeah. role. And her arc in the film, which shouldn't really be a factor in her performance so much, mm-hmm. but her arc is honestly way more impactful in this than in Marriage Story. Okay, um, I think so. Obviously, we're going to talk about the scene. Yeah. Um, basically, Scarlett Johansson is a secret sort of uh, Jewish sympathizer. She's the one who's keeping Elsa up in their house. Mm. I think she can't Elsa, let Jojo find not 100% out. sure, but I feel like this was a line, and this comes back to how lively our audience was that we might have missed a couple of Elsa's lines. Gotcha, yeah. But I do believe Elsa was a friend of the sister. Um, I didn't. I must have missed that. But I might be incorrect on that one. I think and that makes the most sense. It was that, or basically, she. I th- 
I know she moved between, I think, three or four families before she got to JoJo. I do remember that. Um, it wasn't her first family. You're probably right about this, because that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, obviously, so she's the sympathizer, and that makes the weird family dynamic for JoJo, because JoJo is significantly smaller than Elsa. Elsa could actually kill him. Yeah. Well, she overpowers him several times. It's the Easily. only reason he doesn't actually kill her is because she stops him from killing her. Yeah. And he and easily too. So yeah, yeah. and obviously it comes back to if he rats out his mum, his mum's gonna get killed. So he's in an impossible situation. That's a great dialogue bit. Yeah. When he's laying it all out, he's like, You don't want me to do this, and I don't want you to do that. You don't want my mum to do this. So it looks like we're in what does he say? He's like a, sta- a extra stalemate, and she's like just a normal stalemate. <laughs> Something a like Mexican that. Standoff, Mexican standoff. But it's just a standoff. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and great writing, man. Yeah, it's clever. Writing. That was a clever joke. Um, but yeah, like obviously, sympathizer, and there is that scene where Steve Merchant comes to the house, and Elsa imitates the the older sister, sister who's yeah. passed away. Man, um, that was a tense scene. That was a tense scene. It was a tense scene. Um, and which. She gives the papers to Sam Rockwell, and Sam Rockwell doesn't rat out. Yeah, well, she, he quizzes her on the birth date. Yeah, and she just randomly guesses that, and she was very close. She was only like a few days off, mm. but nevertheless, Ron and Sam Rockwell would know this. Yes, um, but it all makes sense. You're right with everything you said about his potential relationship and his role in JoJo's life. It makes sense that he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to help you guys out. And I think it comes back to the point where he. Long before this, knew that they weren't going to win, mm. and he knows his ship has sailed, and it obviously leads into that final scene. He always yeah. knew that he was never going to get out of this without being punished for his previous actions, and he gets punished, all right. Yeah, but <laughs> I think that's 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 one of those things where it's a very similar sort of arc to things like in Schindler's List with certain characters knowing mm. the actions they take in the war do have consequences post-war. Um, and even in The Pianist, um, where they have that sort of s- same dynamic, right, with the, the officer, the Nazi officer, that uh, saves, which, oh, towards the end. saves Adrian Brody. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, to... feeding him and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a, sim- in a similar way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's really a really tense scene, but obviously it leads to uh, a scene in yeah. the middle of the winter. Well, at this point, we don't know where Jojo's mum is. No, it's just him been... and the girl in the house. And yeah. the last time we saw her was her planning like little leaflets and stickers. Yes, free Germany sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the last time we've seen her. Yes, and then it leads to the big revelation. Very cleverly uh, weaved in earlier with... We talked about framing uh, with heights and certain shots. And we, you yes. know, Stephen Merchant literally towers over Sam Rockwell. Uh, I it's love a good it. position of power. They're constantly reaffirming power with heights. Yeah, height. exactly. Um, and even even the opening shots when we first introduced the, the Hitler walking up and down, we just see his torso. Yes. And he has to lean down to so we see his face. And then, mm. of course, Scarlett Jansen in a similar way. Uh, we see just her feet. In several shots, Jojo's sitting down and she's walking around on like a higher level than him. Even the stairs, I'm pretty sure they do a similar yeah. thing. And then she jumps it's down to the twice before. It's the yeah. the setup, the reminder, and the, payoff. the payoff. It's very and, simple um, what story. What payoff it is. And it's a thing that made me have a literal audible gasp. 
like it inspired me to write the, my top ten gunt punches in two, 2019 cinema. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it made number one. It was it was brutal. So because... we see Jojo, and that's another thing that's been called back several times: is people <laughs> hanging in the streets in public mm-hmm. uh, for being caught out or whatever the case may be, and then. We never see her, but he literally bumps into her feet and yes. recognizes the shoes. And we and never looks have, up, yeah. but we never see her face. We yeah. never see anything above literally her hip or the back yeah. in a wide. And Brilliant decision. It was perfect. It but was, it, again, it complements all the other framing. We never get anywhere away from JoJo's perspective. And it complements the tone yeah. perfectly. Because for the most part, following that scene, I think we only see Hitler twice after that scene. Becomes, I think you're right. I think because it becomes it well. Becomes, there's a scene in the kitchen where he kind of at the end he kicks he kicks a chair and stuff. I can't remember if that was before or after. I believe that might be before. I okay. think the only scene after that might Would actually be the, be ending, the final scene. Yeah. yeah, I'd have to double check that. But I feel like because that story definitely shifts more into the Elsa. Yeah, well, at that point, just... it's just the two of them now. Mm-hmm. And there's even a little montage of him, like, scrounging stuff up so they can eat. Yeah, yes. stuff. And I thought that was clever. It's like, wow, and this is just his reality now. He has no mum, mm-hmm. and he has no father, and it's just him and this girl now, and they have to, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, like, protect each other. Well, that kind of that kind of goes into their relationship a bit, because it ends up sort of being more of a brotherly-sisterly relationship, and they literally state that. Yeah, they outline it. Um, but that's another Moonrise Kingdom sort of comparison there is that their relationship and the bit of an age gap there um i the thing is like it, it's people forget that that is how it is you tend to have crushes on girls that are way older than you yeah even if it's like several years older than you and she never submits to him because she's always talked about having this uh fiance mm-hmm. who she admits towards well, the end of being, dead being a 12 year old and i mean it, it's just normal that's a pretty normal like yeah exactly pretty, what isn't was abnormal was the submission part. So for her to turn around and be like, "Yeah," and like him not to be offended by that is is realistic. I think. I think. Yeah, yeah. But it was also a very Wes Anderson way of presenting the the dialogue, in way, especially yeah. in that scene, was very much like we are establishing our relationship. And <laughs> well, I guess they kind of have to at that point, even if it is verbally. Mm. Um, but you know, I. I remember like when they had when they had that conversation confirming their final stance. I remember I just thought to my head, I'm like, do I like this? And I was like, yeah. Or was it, do I mind this? No, not really. I, I guess mean, at the I end of the like day, I don't really end. want to see them like. <laughs> no. Getting a full fledged. But I never felt like Kingdom I never felt. No, but the age gap, the age gap between those two wasn't that big. It was only like a year or two. They were the same age. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I, I guess I'm just thinking about how young they both were. Yeah, they're both young, but Maybe they're both that's the same age. Of. Yeah. Good call. And this one, it call, was, it's, it's very much like she never indulges in that sort of side. Like she says, I think she says one time and he's like, oh, like he like throws out that real like half assed sort of like oh, sulk. Oh, I've never been kissed before. And, and she just like, goes, oh. you want to be kissed? But it's more like a... And then it turns into a whole I won't be kissed by a Jew thing. Yeah. But it's... But it's not her saying it in a romantic sense. It was yeah, more her saying, it it away, stop being a sookie boy. <laughs> I feel like. Uh, I got enough more, for that in my in my. It was a more there. jovial, like, big sister-esque sort of jab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think it worked really well, like, at the heart of the story, and it kind of complements. It gives something. I mean, that was another thing the half-star reviews were going on. Like, oh, 
Um, first off, again, they hated that they were following a Nazi. And it's like, well, they literally say Jojo's not a Nazi throughout the whole film. Yeah, it's the whole point is yeah. how he's, he's absorbed make-believe. into a culture. But it's, uh. I mean, she outlines it the best. She goes, you just wanted to be a part of a club. Yeah, literally. And and I remember the other side of that argument was like, oh, he's only not a Nazi anymore because he falls in love with this girl. And it's like, not really, but sure. And even mm. yes, why not? You know, I feel like the last scene is the biggest reaffirmer. I mean, no, I feel like the reason he's not a Nazi anymore is because his mum dies. <laughs> I think... I think he Possibly, starts he yeah. starts to subtract his fascist viewpoints from that point onwards. Yeah, exactly. And it becomes like you said, it becomes less about even him empathizing with her and more survival because they both need each other at the end mm. of the day. He has no one else but this girl. And it be and I think he even says in a line he's like her death will mean nothing if you don't live now. Mm. And That's true, yeah. There's that self-awareness there and I think, if anything, that last sequence is the town is being attacked and people were dying left, right, and center, and he's confused. He doesn't even realize he's wearing a Nazi jacket when the soldier picks him up. Right, yeah. Because he he's gets, so, yeah. I don't know, he's a 10-year-old in a bombing. <laughs> God forbid he's you ever think, you ever think? Why do you let yourself do that to yourself with those half-star reviews? They're probably just yeah, I know, it's, I did it for the social network too, and I was like, oh, God, I want to shoot myself in the... I, I want well, to pull a Hitler on myself. It's, well, okay, well, we know my highlight scene. Do you have anything to add before you go into your highlight scene? Um, I'm just checking now. I guess the only other thing... Speaking of... of her name was Rosie. Rosie who dies, the mum. When it cuts, the only... This was a really weird decision. Mm-hmm. Was when it, it's obviously we're getting this incredibly heartfelt moment. One of the biggest gut punches I've seen all year in cinema was obviously the reveal of her feet, and we all know immediately what that means. But then it cuts away to these buildings with these like eye shaped windows. Oh, what was that all about? I think that's really simple. That could be. I think that's the, um, the ideology behind. At least this is how I took it. Was potentially all of the Jewish people that could be hidden away in the attics. Oh. Um, and how she's died, but all these other people are hiding. Um, because even as Stephen Merchant's character says, he goes, oh, you know, it's that daily check, checking this house today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like the emphasis on those was potentially all of the other people who might be looking down on Jojo and seeing that his mum died, trying to save them. I definitely I, got the I, onlooker look, but I, I like that specific. I, yeah, you know? and I, I got... Th- that's the vibe I went for, and I, I had to admittedly extend the knowledge to... I remember a lot of those shots in The Pianist, particularly from Agent Brody, looking oh, out of yeah. top windows down into the street. That's so true. Looking down. He's watching comes. the whole battle take place from his window, he watched, yeah. Yeah, he watches that battle take place. He watches people getting taken away, people shot, all of that, like a lot of stuff. He's an observer. So I felt like that was what they were going for. Oh, in that'd that be scene. weird to like edit those two films together to do that now. That'd you be weird. You probably could, actually. You probably could, but that's kind of a weird thing to do. I don't know. Uh, I guess the other thing I want to talk about, we talk about what a great cast this is. But yes. I, I do want to talk about Roman Griffith Davis, who, again, he got nominated for the Golden Globe. And I want to talk about Archie Yates, who looks like a young Nick Frost as his friend. They I... had the cutest cut hugs in history. <laughs> Their hugs were just like, it I was remember very the audible awe yeah, every the whole time. Theater, yeah. um, I, as cute as they were, I didn't think either of them were that amazing. 
But what constitutes amazing? He played a 10-year-old, Jake. Yeah, I know, but like... I mean, I've seen 10-year-olds who've blown me away before. Look, I don't want to be like mean or anything. No, I guess, but I think he played his role perfect. I don't know. uh, Kids are hard to talk about because it's like, you know a bad actor kid when you see one, but a good one is just a kid. And kids can annoy you regardless if they're a kid. (laughs) Fair enough. I've watched films that had... Like, it's funny, I haven't watched Leon the Professional, which you talked about earlier in the show. See, she's amazing. But I watched her in Heat when she plays like a 12 year old or 13 year old in that. And she's great. She's great in it. But I I don't know. With 10, it's tricky. Like, it comes back to the It cast, right? They were all playing 11. But they were all great too. Some of them were. Okay. Half of them were. (laughs) Half of them weren't. Like, the, the. I particularly remember, so what was it? The the Finn Wolfgard was really good. Yeah. The guy from Stranger, Stranger Things. Things, yeah. Uh, the other kid that's in uh, Knives Out, who's now 16 oh, or something, yeah. he was good. He's uh, a Nazi in that film. Look at that. Ha-ha. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Half that cast was either forgettable or average. The, I particularly remember the kid okay. that gets killed, right, in the start of the second one who commits suicide. His oh, kid yeah, version yeah, yeah. wasn't that great. That's uh, fair, but no, I I thought the so who's the who's the guy who plays Jojo? What's his name again? Uh, Roman Griffith Davis. He was good. He was good. Okay, I think he was better than Archie Yates. Yeah, but I don't think either. I mean, Archie Yates was play, uh, comes back to he what, was a cute like kid, Jack. Yeah. Jack brought this up that Archie Yates had a clearly distinct show. Like at least the other, like the guy who played Jojo was trying to put on a German accent. Oh um, yeah, We're whereas Archie Yates was outright. Just doing a British accent, mm. and I don't know if that's like, look, there's comedy in this, but at the same time, it's like, I'm sorry, but I have to decide with Jack. I think that's kind of average. It's one of the weak, like, I like Archie Yates. I think right. it's funny. that he should have done the accent. He should have done an accent, yeah, mm. because the problem is, if it's, co- like, every other comedic character in this film is doing a German accent. Yeah, Sam- everyone, yeah. Sam Rockwell, uh, Alfie Allen when he's speaking, mm. uh, Rebel Wilson is even, and we know Rebel Wilson's Australian, so she's going to have Stephen that. Merchant, he does Stephen the accent, yeah. So what's to stop this kid? And if you couldn't use that, if that kid couldn't do it, find a kid that can. Cause, mm. Harsh. <laughs> uh, no, it's true. <laughs> I know, I know. Because I know. it takes away from the weight of some of those heavier scenes. If you've got this kid that's blatantly like not even trying to be German, I, I feel like it takes away from trying to talk about the heavier stuff. Mm. He delivers like some funny lines, like it's really not a good time to be a Nazi. Like that's a really, <laughs> was a really funny line. But wouldn't that have been so funnier good. if he was putting on a German voice? Yeah, I feel if like he actually had a yeah, fair enough. Because it, it try what are you trying to do? Are you trying to? Blatantly not acknowledge the culture, you trying to acknowledge the culture, and by putting a character like that who can't put a German accent on, you are in some way being a bit lazy with that. And it's like there are plenty of kids around who want to act. So, yeah, well, well, apparently he's going to be in the new Home Alone reboot, so he's doing fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's anyway. just I, is my probably one of my few gripes with this film. Right. Okay. Well, that that's fair enough. I'm happy to talk about my highlight scene. So that that yeah. would be yours is Rosie's death. Yes. Or the reveal of it with the feet. Um, I read some funny comments I eh, sent you. We're like, the, the, I think the five-star reviews are like, oh, Tarantino, step up your foot game because Taika Waititi's after you or something like yeah. that. It's pretty funny. Um, I want to give a couple of shout-outs to 
um, some of the interesting techniques they did, like when Elsa is represented, uh, presented rather, we first introduced to her. Yep. It's almost like a horror film, the way the camera's like panning away from the door mm-hmm. and her hand kind of creeps in the frame, trying to scare him. Make it, yeah, really make it feel like it's a foreign thing. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then when he gets the literal butterflies in his stomach, I was, I was like, okay, fair enough. That was such a Wes Anderson thing, though. <laughs> it totally was. That yeah. was a hundred percent a Wes completely. Um, and of course, I agree with you on on um, the hanging scene is excellent. But uh, a weird one I want to throw out. I, I want to see if you remember this that well. Mm-hmm. Is when he blows himself up at the start, and then we get that classic sort of POV shot of him getting wheeled into the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, we've kind of seen it before, but what made it great for me was um, Taika Waititi's Adolf Hitler coming in and, like... Passing out. Yeah, passing out. Like, every time he looks at Jojo, he's like, oh! And then, of course, they make a lot of ugly jokes. I was about to say, the callback to the whole, like, everyone saying he looks horrific, except (laughs) um, except, uh, Elsa and his mum, obviously. Right, yeah. Well, even she kind of jokes about, like, she says it to him to amp him up, and then she gets in public and she makes jokes. About it, yeah, it's, it's tough but, love. I love it. But in the real moments when they start to build their rapport, is he actually like she says some nicer things about mm. him too? Yeah, like no one notices it. And Fair enough. I just think it's interesting <laughs> that every like every adult character. I thought I dicks. Like, so that's that, that would be your highlight scene. Um, probably that, will have to be the, the Elsa. Oh, Sam Rockwell's death was Rosie also pretty. Rather. Was pretty. Oh yeah, that was that was another moment. Where I was like, great direction. Also, also, that moment when like the reveal of his outfit and he's like there and he's like, <laughs> he's oh, doing the thing. it was actually so funny. Oh yeah, in his final battle gear sort of thing. Better than three billboards. All right, fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Zeke Morgan. Is that, is that all we have to say about this? <laughs> That's film? it. Jojo Rabbit is out in theaters on Boxing Day. Uh, unless you're in the US, you can watch. It, I guess anywhere you want. Uh, yeah, catch this film. It's really great. If you listened all the way through and haven't listened, uh, seen the film, then, well, you've done yourself a great disservice, I think. I don't think... I mean, you missed that one big... I reckon there's only one real big spoiler in this one. I Yeah, I suppose. But, I guess maybe the, the kicking Hitler through the windows. That's a moment. That's a fun moment. But Yeah. I mean, I still think if I watched this film again, I'd probably still have a chuckle at that scene because it's so absurd. <laughs> but honestly, uh, great, great showing from Tucker Watiti. It's nice to have a film that you anticipate for and you actually get delivered on. I hope he gets the director's nod at yeah. the Academies. I um, think his direction is excellent. Can't wait to see what he does film. next. Like Jake said, out in cinemas. Well, he's in doing America. the new four. He's doing four. Love and whatever. Love and four? Uh, maybe. Get it? Because oh, well, well, he's working with again Natalie Portman. She's back and she's back in our discussions. Uh, That's who he's working with next. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really hoping he keeps these bigger casts going. Mm. But he also keeps going back to Australian and Kiwi cast because nice. that's the one good Maybe thing. we have a chance, Zeke. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, Jake. What's new in cinemas this week? Uh, not a lot, as you can probably guess why in a moment. Uh, but a few things are coming to Netflix, though. So, again, The Two Popes, it is coming out this week. So I'll probably catch it, uh, probably not in the next week, but I will catch it soon just to keep up with the conversation. And also The Witcher Season 1 comes to Netflix. Really? Yeah, it's this I'm week. I'm actually keen for that. So uh, you got Henry Cavill? Yeah, Henry Cavill, Superman. He's uh, playing your boy. You know, it's funny. It's like I haven't played... I have those games. I've, I've played, like, the intro to them. They're just so complex. They seem very massive. Like, I've given up on open worlds because I just can't deal with them anymore. But I think, you know, honestly, uh, I do like the idea of video game series over movie. 
I feel like that is a better format. The Netflix series yeah. is a better formula. Have we for... seen it much in the past? No, but in my head that makes more sense. Yeah, like, we'll I've... find out, I guess. Let's, yeah. let's take The Mandalorian. I know it's not based on a game, but it could Existing be. It's Star. It's you know, it's Star Wars. Yeah. It's like it's... there are plenty of Star Wars games out there. Well, it's the first live action show of its kind. Yeah. For Star Wars, yeah. And I feel like that boasts well for video games too. You could mm. do an Assassin's Creed Netflix series, believably, and it would work. Yeah, they just gotta stop being stupid and doing present day scenes. <laughs> More You reckon? I reckon I reckon I if you did a film. No, if you did it because it's part of the games. The yeah, but best. everyone hated that part about the game, so they got rid of them. By the newer ones. It's kind of a bit lame because it was leading somewhere and they just got rid of it. I liked the Desmond Miles story. Mm. I did like that stuff, but most people hated it. If you stuck with that idea and you intercutted it between the past and the present, it could work, I think. Yeah. Especially. You need a better ratio. It comes back to the Westworld. It comes back to the Westworld formula. Mm. Separating the reality from the simulation. I mean, if Westworld can do it, why can't Assassin's Creed do it? Mm, there you go. That's a that good would be point. my counter. Um, uh, there was, a, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a lot of Bollywood stuff coming out this week. I've elected to ignore most of it. Bar cool. IP Man Four, the finale, which is the biographical martial arts series no. from director Wilson Yip, based on the life of Wing Chun. Now, this is part four of of his story, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, I just wanted to point that out, everyone. Part, but we're four. not watching that next week on the no. show, are we, Jack? Well, there's a there's a couple. Oh, there's a couple we're more. Not, we're not quite done yet. Oh, I thought they were just all Bollywood films. Oh no no no! Well, I was I was making a point on it. Okay. Um. Well, there's also Promised, which is a Australian Italian cast. I don't know what the film's about. Just want to point it out. And also for those who want to see Ma for a picture story, if you go to the Lunar Screening at seven thirty tomorrow or Tuesday. Oh, it's Superman's mum. Um. Hmm? Superman's uh, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, you actually get to meet Martha Kent. Uh, Car- Damn it! Zeke, this is your fault. Oh, sorry. Martha Cooper and producer Daniel Joyce uh, at the Lunar Screening this Tuesday. So if you're listening to this later than half a day, then you're going to miss that. So what does she What does she do? Oh, well, she's the main person the documentary's about. Okay, well, what's the documentary about? What's she do? What's oh, we, the- talked, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I think she's like a graffiti artist. Okay. Something like that. Um, but she's going to be there at Luna tomorrow. So if you want to catch cool. up, I was thinking about going to it. I probably won't be able to, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. But now, there is one more film coming out in the next week. What are we watching, Jake? <laughs> it's probably part, partially contributing to why it's a bit of a dry week elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're watching Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. The surviving resistance faces the First Order once more as Rey, Finn, and Poe Dameron's journey continues. With the power and knowledge of generations behind them, the final battle commences. <laughs> yeah, final. This <laughs> film was sure directed by J.J. Abrams, story by George Lucas, and is a part of, believe it or not, <laughs> the Star Wars film <laughs> I'm trilogy. I'm reading the same thing you're reading. <laughs> film series, Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, oh, okay. I thought bloody the, the Jurassic World dude was going to direct this movie. What happened, man? <laughs> I don't know. Ryan Johnson happened to this uh, movie. Oh, man. And, per- well, and Disney went, oh, no, our money. 
<laughs> I, um, think, I think Solo was what happened to the so, bloody money. Honest, well, I actually, okay. have you seen the... I mean, Last Jedi hasn't got flash reviews, bro. <laughs> no, well, the, the critical reviews are actually really positive. The fan reviews are quite appalling. Yeah, and you know where the money is? <laughs> it's oh. the fans. Oh, me the money! <laughs> Look, oh, honestly, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be duking gloves. Uh, like, uh, Believe it or not, before this show ever existed, I don't think it's possible. there was a famous debate that occurred over The Last Jedi when it came out. It existed on the Blue Velvet podcast, but the episode corrupted. Yeah, so all we have is a one-minute version I recorded on my phone. But that was a debate between Jack and myself for a good five or six minutes. And I don't think, unfortunately, we're going to have that on this one. I feel like we're going to both walk out of this feeling quite deflated. I'm very... Well, we're we're of two minds of this, Mm -hmm. because as someone, I... Love the Last Jedi. I actually rewatched a lot of it this morning. I'm like, in my mind, it still it still holds up in my opinion. As someone who loves the Last Jedi, I'm worried how much backtracking they're going to do in this next one. And as someone like you who hates the Last Jedi, yep. you're more like, where in the world is this going to go? I'm also, but I'm on the same page. I think, look, a step a step in that direction is still a step in that direction. Mm-hmm. Whether I like the direction is is subjective. It's I think where Riot, where Johnson took it, I wasn't happy with it. I felt like he, like, and I reaffirmed, and I stood by this, especially after Knives Out came out. He st- he's not a franchise filmmaker. He'll never be a franchise filmmaker. He would never make a Marvel film because people would hate it. Because he would subvert <laughs> so many expectations that all of the nerds in that franchise would get annoyed, just as I'm the nerd in this franchise, and I got annoyed <laughs> because he messed with my stuff. Um, <laughs> mess with my stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure George Lucas is saying the same uh, yeah, thing you are right now. Exactly. <laughs> probably. But it's, it's like at the end of the stuff. day, it's like we took a step in that direction, and I really wish we'd run the course. Because if Ryan Johnson had directed eight and nine, we probably would have adjusted by nine, and it would have been way more fun. Mm. However, we're back on JJ, oh boy, the JJ. JJ train, which means train. we're just going to have another. Really, like it's going to be a, a formula. Com- oh, it's going to be a competent Star Wars movie that, if God forbid, JJ does what he always does with mystery boxes, mm. he's just going to suggest a bunch of things that are never going to mean anything. And we're going to be sitting there going, We need another movie to answer these, JJ. And he goes, Ah, I don't do second movies. <laughs> Let me just put all these because <laughs> the, that was half the problem. Is he set up all that stuff like he should have in episode seven, but because he wasn't there to pay it off, Ryan just went. I don't know how to pay all this stuff off. I'm just going to get rid of it. <laughs> and thus, th- that's where the mess was born. I Look, as much as I love The Last Jedi, I will agree with you that they've Disney have put themselves in a big mess with this franchise. Yep. And the excitement, the palpable excitement that was there for the last two films, The Force Awakens had like unbelievable excitement, and The yep. Last Jedi had unbelievable excitement yep. too. And then, you know, with that and with Solo... Do you know anyone that's... Like, people are seeing this film, but do you know anyone who's excited to see this film? I think think people are getting excited when they remember that it's coming out in, like, four days. Yeah, but, like... But, like, it's not genuine. It's nowhere near the excitement that the last film... There were countdowns every time a trailer came out before the It was just ridiculous. I was insane. Man, I was so excited for Last Jedi. Some of the biggest Star Wars fans I know, they're just like, yeah, I'm going to see it. But it's like there's not the same like, oh my god, I'm like, oh my god, yeah. oh my god. Sort yeah, of exactly. The it's, feeling it's I felt was. when Episode Seven came out was, oh, 
I was so excited. Yeah, me. Oh, man. But by I now, s- I'm exhausted by Star Wars. I'm ex- I'm exhausted. I got my Mandalorian weekly fix. That's all I need. Yeah, like, I'm. You know what? I might start watching the Mandalorian this week, just because I'm. I'm just about to finish Rick and Morty because that half season's finished now. For I the probably year. should swap you and watch the Rick and Morty uh, stuff. Uh, 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 it's okay. Oh, okay. It well, be okay. No worries. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker.